episode 197, the post-July 4th weekend episode 109. How'd you enjoy the fire? Are you a fireworks guy? Have we ever talked about that? I hate fireworks. I have a love-hate with them. (laughs) (laughs) I used to really love them. Oh, I think we've talked about this Yeah, I made my own sparkler bombs back in the day. But then I'll never forget when we had a newborn and two dogs. A newborn baby and two. Oh, I was in a living hell. I'm sure. There's smoke throughout our neighborhood. I'm yeah. literally pulling the dogs by their collars to go to the bathroom because they're scared. I can hear Piper screaming in her bedroom at like midnight. So I started loathing the 4th of July. But now that she's a teenager, I still worry about the dog. I, I, I like it a little more than I used to. I saw, I loved it. Favorite holiday. I despised it. And now I'm kind of creeping <laughs> back into like. How about when again. you had to go to work the next morning at five o'clock in the morning? And fireworks were going off at one o'clock. Oh yeah, morning. we didn't have that. Why? Well, we had a because we had a break during that time. <laughs> <laughs> we had a break. It was the host's birthday. I mean, come on, I mean, you know. Oh, I see. So I, I mean, see. we would come back like the eighth or something. I I am a big fan of the main fireworks. You know the the fireworks in Washington D.C. The fireworks sure, yeah. over Lake Washington or Lake Union with the music. It's set to music. Yeah. You know the government fireworks. I don't know they. Those are kind of cool for 10 seconds. You're like, mm. that's what I like. I like okay. that. All right, all right. But I am dead set opposed and always have been to the homemade stuff. No. Even as a kid? No. What's wrong with you? I don't want anything near me. I, 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 no. <laughs> no. You didn't I have, love I have Jason. Up? I have Jason Pierre Paul on yeah. my mind. Well, that's probably smart. Every actually. July 4th. Yeah. I mean, the stuff you can buy legally, it's kind of weak. Yeah, it can still hurt you, but then you start going off to the Indian reservations, or I, See, I don't know no. if they're called that now, but. You know, I, I once bought a ping pong ball full of gunpowder. It was awesome. I mean, it it was so loud and so bright. It was the coolest thing I ever bought. <laughs> but I don't I don't know. I don't do it. We're going to a friend's house. They live on the water. I'll let other people light uh, stuff, and I'll just kind of stand back these days. Episode 197, Stump the Band, Hotshot Scott. Yes. It's a tradition unlike any other. It is. That we begin Mitch Unfiltered with a Stump the Band question. I, I'm afraid, well, I'm not really afraid. That everybody kind of knows the answer okay. to this question. But I feel like I need to ask it. And then I'll ask another one later in the show in the other stuff segment. A non-sports related Stump the Band. So this is my sports related Stump the Band. It needs to be asked okay. because of where we sit. I don't know what you Okay. Said. The young, the young, because you're not paying attention. <laughs> the young, great Julio Rodriguez. Ever heard of him? I've heard of him. And for the last four years, Piper's basketball coach is named Julio. So every time she hears Julio or I hear Julio, we think of her basketball coach. Okay. Hopefully one day we'll get into Julio Rodriguez a little more. I don't think of her basketball <laughs> coach sure when don't. I hear Julio. <laughs> the great Julio Rodriguez keeps adding to his mantle. You know by now that he was the American League Rookie of the Month in the month of May. I do. He was the American League Rookie of the Month in the month of June. Okay, he's already got, as we record this, 15 home runs, 43 RBIs. He's got 20 stolen bases, and I asked the question, Hot Shot, Stump the Band, baseball trivia. Yes. How many men, how long's the history of Major League Baseball? I don't know, 130 years or something? How many men in their first season, before the All-Star break, okay. had 15 or more home runs and 20 or more stolen bases? Julio has oh. done it. He's now going to add to it up until the All-Star break. Yeah. How many men before him in their first Major League Baseball season pre-All-Star game? Oh, in their first. That's that's big. Their first Major. Yeah. Now, the thing that I, I really shouldn't even bring this up, but I'll, I will. <laughs> okay. A lot of guys like you'd say Ken Griffey Jr. His first Major League Baseball season 
would have happened after the All-Star break because it was a late season. A lot of these guys are right, late right. season call-ups, so they, they are ineligible to do this right. because they don't have a pre all-star game yes. first season. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, okay. But I was also thinking 40-40 club members, but that's not their first year. Probably like Canseco okay. probably didn't no. do it his first year. A-Rod, no. Ricky no. Henderson, he's probably no, not in no, that no. club. But, well, know. Ricky Henderson would be a guy that you would think yeah. might be one of the guys who did 15, 14 or more. He had a because little power. he was not a September call-up. He, he started his career like Julio at okay. the beginning of a season. So how many men have done uh, it? Stumped the band. How many men? A dozen. More? Are you playing with me because you know the answer and you're trying to make the show better than it is or not? I'm not. I actually. The answer is zero. How is that possible? He is the only man in history. There's been some pretty good baseball players <laughs> the past 130 years. He's the only. That's unless, incredible. Unless got, well, here's what happened. So when he hit like his 12th or 13th home run, maybe it was his 12th home run. Yeah. The Mariners PR staff sent out a tweet. If you're not on Twitter, you don't know. Yeah. The Mariners... PR staff sent out a tweet that there have been three men in the history of Major League Baseball, follow me on this, that have had 10 or more home runs and 20 or more stolen bases in their first season before the All-Star break. And they are Julio Rodriguez, Chris Sabo. Remember Chris Sabo? Was he fast? No. <laughs> that's a weird one. Okay. Chris Sabo, the third baseman for the Reds. Reds right, very yeah. awkward looking yeah, guy with the glasses. Who could steal? He stole. And then a guy, and that was 1988, and Mitchell Page, 1977 of the Oakland Athletics. Okay. They were the only three guys, according to Mariners PR, that had do 10 plus and 20 plus in their first season before the All-Star break. Okay. okay? So I figure I got nothing to do with my time <laughs> July 4th weekend. Well, ain't that the truth? I want to see how many they had, how many home runs and stolen bases Mitchell Page and Chris Sabo had to become a member of this three-man club. Yeah. And the answer is Sabo had 10 home runs exactly. Wow. And Page had 11. Which means how many people have done 14 and 20? That's incredible. The answer would be unless the P, unless the Mariners PR staffs I I I'm not accepting responsibility for the inaccuracy <laughs> if the if the Mariners PR staff yeah. effed up. Next next week it's oh checked out there's 18 that did it. Sorry. So I'm I'm t- I'm I'm here to say that if the Mariners stat was correct sure about is. the three guys. Yeah. There's only one man in the history of baseball that's done 12 or more right. yeah. and 20 or more. Cuz they had 10 and 11. 10 yeah. and 11. Julio Rodriguez is doing things that nobody has ever done in the history of baseball. You got to have speed and power. Not many. Not and, many. And you have to start your career right. That's, at the beginning of yeah. a season instead of being a late season call up, which kind of throws a little water sure. on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I sh- I shouldn't have, should I have not brought that up. No, so I think that, it's fair. I wanted to, to fire up. people up. Yeah. I wanted people to love the Mariners <laughs> and love Unfiltered. Well, so that's my thing. Would you like that's how I got. how Julio's first eighty games stack up to Ken Griffey Jr.'s first eighty games? You can do that now. Or you can do it in segment one oh. when I answer Slickhawk's question on Twitter. We're in the tease. I forgot. Slickhawk's question on Twitter, which I think is a very good one. He doesn't normally ask very good questions. <laughs> okay. It's good to know. But he actually kind of in a, in a flippant way asked a question that is actually very interesting. Okay. I think is very interesting. He asked a question on Twitter, which I'm going to deal with in segment one, which is, should we just give him a con- – I don't remember the exact tweet, but how much is he worth right now? How much what – sh- what should they give him? What kind of contract should they give him right now? Which a lot of people mm. would say, hold on a second, you don't have to give him any contract right now. They've got six more years or five more years of club control. Yeah. 
He's not a free agent for another six years. Why are we even discussing this? Well, that's not exactly right because this is the day and age now where big-time prospects that come into the league and do well get big deals early so that the team can get more than six years, guaranteed more than six years before they go to the Yankees. Right, gotcha. Before they go to the Dodgers. So I'm going to answer that question in segment one so you can either do your thing now Griffey versus Julio now, or you can wait to segment one to do it. I'm going to wait. Like? Let's go ahead and wait. Okay. This is the tease. I mean, there's got a lot to get to here. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. Please, please, please rate and review us on Apple. No one's doing it. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month and have access to all the bonus shows like Danny O'Neill and me, Slickhawk and me, music entries. It's coming. It's coming. If you'd like to be a patron with access, but the five bucks a month is an issue, I'll take care of you at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Or you can just write me anything you have to say about the show at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, like Chris Rady did. Oh, boy. Okay. Maybe he shouldn't have given a last name. Well, if he craps on me, I'm going to find Chris. Hello, Mitch. This email comment is kind of coming from left field, but I felt like God inclined me to write it. Okay. I'm already scared. For starters, I want to congratulate you on your podcast. My name is Chris, and I used to listen to you for many years on 950. I felt very bad for you in regards to what brought you to the whole situation that unraveled a few years ago. I'm also very happy that you have brought yourself to a much better place. Okay. How's it so far? It's, it's setting me up is what it's no, doing. No, it's not setting okay. me up. Don't it's, worry. It's nice and friendly so far. The yeah. reason for my email is nothing more than to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. You're a well-educated man, so I'm going to assume that you know what Jesus stands for and what Christianity means. However, there are very many educated people that have never heard of the gospel. The reason for my email is simply to reach out to you and encourage you to find Jesus, our Lord, if you do not have him already. I certainly would never want you to change your podcast, but there are a lot of listeners out there who would benefit from time to time hearing you in that context on the air. Again, if you have read this email this far and you do not know our Lord Jesus, I suggest you research him and the good news of the Gospels as he will find you. God bless, Chris Rady. Oh, I think it'd be nice to invite Chris to our Bible study on Tuesdays that you and I have. <laughs> I no? Wanna, I We're not going to invite him? Uh, I mean, look, do you really want to go down this road? Can, I, I, I brought the email in for you. Like, I don't mind him proselytizing a little bit to people. Yes. It's fine. I'm happy yeah. that he's a believer. Yes. But do you have, is this the right way to do it? I mean, to, to reach out to someone and and ask if they know Jesus Christ on a podcast? Yeah, I got I, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, people you are, tell me. people are What's allowed. the answer to that question. It's a real tricky time right now with Roe Wade and all that and where yeah. religion fits in. Yeah. And, and it's uh, probably not great timing to proselytize to Mitch Levy. So, so ask me why I brought it today on episode 190. So ask me what's the significance of me bringing this email into the show today? Uh, what's the significance? Guess number two is the significance. Okay. Have you ever heard of the name Joseph Kennedy? He's guest number two on today's show. Joseph Kennedy. Yes. From the Royal Kennedys? Not from the Royal Kennedys. I haven't then. He's a former Bremerton High School assistant oh, football coach. That story I know. He's on. Okay. That so story I know. So, there, so there's the connection with gotcha. the email and the guest. I hesitated to put 
Steve Dion, producer Steve, said to me, do you want to have this guy on? Yeah. And I thought about it long and hard okay. for about eight minutes. Yep. And I decided, you know, because th that takes me into an area. I wouldn't say that I'm uncomfortable, but I've always kind of declined with the old radio show and now the podcast. Yeah. I kind of never really went there. Yeah. I felt like this would be a. It's polarizing. A, for a, sure. a religious free, a little bit of a political free zone. It's hard in this day and age to right. do that. But this story was just too, too big and too local oh, to, huge. to not do it, right? Yeah, yeah, you have to do it. You have to. I mean, but I understand why you want to shy away from, I mean, the religious talk. There's people who are atheists that listen. There's Christians. There's people who are Jewish. There's Mormons. There's probably Scientologists that listen. Where we probably cover the gamut of religions. Which is probably the reason why the school district in Bremerton did not want him kneeling at half field and having players and opponents and fans around him in prayer at high school football games yeah. Uh, the, correct uh, yeah there's because of the diver the diversity of religions out there well yeah i forgot people feeling uncomfortable there's muslims i mean we could just keep going on all the religions correct right? but I, I guess there's a reason why church the separation of church and state exists for probably for that reason so nobody feels excluded or no nothing feels forced upon you at school and he won in the supreme court he did well the supreme court yes he did win in the Supreme Court. He won in the Supreme Court. Yes. They ruled in his favor. The school district now must offer him his, his job back five or six years later. This has been going on for five or six years. Oh, I didn't you know that. Know. Oh, yeah. I thought this, it was maybe kind of more recent. No, no. Five no, or I, six I, years. Yeah, I think I think this. Ha I think he was let go. In, wow. Okay. Uh, in 15. So the Bremerton, high, the former Bremerton High School assistant football coach who prayed at midfield after games, players and fans joined him. Asked to stop. He didn't. They fired him or they didn't extend him the following year. Yeah. They asked him essentially to leave. There's some discrepancy of what exactly happened in the Bremerton School District. He took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. And now they must reinstate him, says the Supreme Court. They violated his First Amendment rights. He's going to be on episode 109. He's he's guest number two on 197. People might think I'm being overly sensitive, and maybe I am, but I had to lead the Little League prayer at one of Piper's games because I was the PA announcer. And the first line of the Little League, not prayer, it's the Little League pledge. Right? That'd be, that'd be, but the first line of the Little League pledge is, I trust in God. And it, it, it hit me kind of weird. And then a friend of mine came up who's like a dad. was like, really? You have to say that? I was like, I'm just reading what was written and... Trust in God, and then you go, well, who's God? What if what if a parents don't believe in God, and they tell their kid there's no... I mean, it, so it, it felt kind of weird to me. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too sensitive, but when you start getting into religions, not everyone believes in the same thing, everybody. And yes, it's great to have... let. That's why we love this country. Freedom to believe in any religion you want. But once it starts encroaching into society a little bit, mm, I think that's where the problems start. But I'm curious to hear what this guy has Well, to I say. want you to listen very closely. I tried to leave my viewpoint at the door. Okay. I think you can probably tell by listening to my tenor during the interview. I listened to it back. I tried not to let it kind of seep in. I tried to do it as objectively as I can. Good. Invite this guy on the show. His lawyer was on. Oh, wow. His lawyer insisted on being on the Zoom call yeah. on the interview. So he pipes in. So you're going to hear this, and I and I really want you to come back to episode 198, if you remember, and share with me what you thought of Joseph Kennedy. And I would love for any listener who makes it to segment number two of the interviews 
I'd love to hear from you, either on Twitter or Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Yeah. I'd like to hear what you thought of what he said, the interview. Was it fair? Was it unfair? It's okay to criticize. It's okay to criticize me if I didn't do a good enough job on this on this deal. I just think about what someone said on Twitter. What if what if one of the coaches laid down a mat and prayed and is Muslim? What would they do to that person? Would he be treated the same as this coach? And that, so when I think about this, I, there's lots of hypocrisy involved. Well, when this. I think about it, I, I put myself in the shoes of the other players. If I'm, if I'm a football player at Bremerton High School, and at the end of the games, my coach, one of my coaches goes to midfield, gets down on a knee, and a lot of my teammates join him yeah. in a Christian prayer, yep. being Jewish, yep. and some of the other teams players come and some of the fans come down how do I feel I'm very uncomfortable with that yeah like I, I don't want to join that but if I don't join that am I going to be judged I mean I'm right I'm 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 tremendously uncomfortable in that situation even if you're now, not I'm judged sure you could be uncomfortable in, in 1985 when I went to high school 84 83 yeah. if this happened no one would have thought anything of it That's probably right. yep right of but course. I just know that I would have been one of the guys on the sidelines one of the teammates not in the circle going yeah. Am I in trouble for not? I don't want to. Right. I'm not going. You know, I just would be yeah. uncomfortable. I would be uncomfortable. It would be as awkward. Well. Yep. It'd be very awkward. So anyway, he's number two. Rick Neuheisel is guest ah. number one. Is anything going on in the Pac-12? We got to talk bit, about a little something okay. going on. Okay. UCLA and USC is Washington next. Is Oregon next? What about Washington State? What about Oregon State? Uh, Rick Neuheisel is going to break it all down for us. I, I didn't. I couldn't figure that there's a better guest to get on yeah. about that subject than Rick Neuheisel. He's guest number one. Joseph Kennedy's guest number two. And your friend, your Instagram friend? I don't know. Rhonda Smith. What? Bancaro? She's my Facebook buddy. I reached Facebook. out to her and she completely ghosted me. Oh. She didn't write back and now she's on the show? She's on the show. Uh, her and I are done. This is it. It's really good. Tell Rhonda to come over and get all her crap out of my house. Her and I are breaking up. We're finished. We're done. I wrote her and she didn't write back. That sucks. It's probably because she had already done the segment, maybe, or she didn't need to write back. I don't know. I don't want Not to good for this guy who thought he was friends with the number one NBA picks mom. Damn maybe, it. Maybe try the dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Too late. Anyway, Rhonda Smith Bancaro is the mom of Paulo. Yes. She also is one of the great players in Washington women's basketball history. Yep. And I never expected, I shouldn't say that. I thought it would be fine. Yeah. We invited her on the show. I've never talked to her in my life. But the 20 or 25-minute conversation, and it was more of a conversation than an interview, Yeah, it was just really good. Well, I can't wait Really to interesting. Good. Really funny at times. Yeah. Really good. I really enjoyed Pretty it. Pretty down to earth for considering who her son is, right? Incredible. I mean, incredible. Her, her son's going to sign a $200 million deal one day in his life. and Her son did not get a lovey-dovey parent when it came to sports. Oh, there is that fine she, line, isn't there? She was tough. Well, she's going to tell you she was tough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, considering her success, I'm actually not surprised because I'm sure she's got an incredible work ethic. And she gave a very thoughtful answer to the question of, did her son ever truly consider the University of Washington oh. where she went, where her husband played on a football team there? Right. And if he didn't, why? And did the, um, did the anger hurt? Did the Good local question. anger when he decided to go to Duke hurt? Yeah. She gives a nice answer to that question. Good. I can't wait to hear. As a Husky fan, I always wanted to know. So New Eisel, Kennedy, and Smith Boncaro on episode 197. Let's go. Episode 197. Hot shot doesn't happen 
without folks like the Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Probably speaking out of turn here, but it's a good thing that Jordan Flowers is much more proficient coming up with real estate finance solutions than he is in member-member golf tournaments. Just saying. Rental property purchases, second homes, and much more. Seven minutes is all you need with the lead man, Jordan Flowers, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Gov Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza. Fired up about the huge new location coming at the end of this month to Terrace Station, Mount Lake Terrace. Already new in Mill Creek, White Center, Northwest Style Pizza, the best craft beer selection anywhere and to your door in no time, if you please, with the Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, an awesome July 4th weekend is now out of the way. The most underrated element of Daniel's Broiler locations, their outside seating options patio overlooking the world in Bellevue, the seaplanes at South Lake Union, Lake Washington at Leshy. It's not just the steaks that makes Daniel's a world-class steakhouse. And Fireside Home Solutions, one last major pool coming next week from Fireside, the British Open Pool. John Waterstrat has been unbelievable in his support of the podcast. Start your search for a new fireplace unit or garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com. Episode 197 officially begins right now. Unfiltered. To call this a shock to the system, the idea of USC and UCLA in the same conference as Ohio State and Michigan, it just feels like I'll never be able to get used to that. Unfiltered. He was so damn fun love, easy to love and root for, and something happened like two or three years into the league. Now every time I see him on TV being interviewed or, you know, behind the microphone sitting in a press conference, he seems angry and mad and bitter. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 197, now officially underway. I hope you enjoyed the big holiday on July 3rd, the old Tom Cruise birthday. Any idea how Mr. Tom, how old Mr. Tom Cruise? Oh, I would know. I could probably guess it to within a year. Okay. It was a biggie. That'll help. Well, if it's a biggie, then it's got to be 60. 57. Uh, No, it's 60. Is he 50? (laughs) No, it's (laughs) some biggie. (laughs) He is 60 years old, Tom Cruise, hanging off of planes in Mission Impossible. Yeah. 60? How is Tom Cruise 60? Very easy. 60 years old. Weird that he was born on the 4th of July and he missed it by a freaking day. He was born on... July third. I always thought that was and that cool. and that movie of his, the uh, the movie that's out now, one point two billion, something like that, one point three billion dollars. Yeah, it's he's done okay. He's done okay for himself over the years, has he not? It's insane because I told you the movie company dropped him at one point. We're like, ah, he's old, he can't play action guy, and then he just sort of bet on himself and financed the movies and. The guy just is a winner. I don't care about what he signed to. I don't care about... He's, he's a little weird, though, right? A little weird. He's very weird. Oh, is he? But the guy prints money. I mean, he's figured out a way to stay relevant at 60. Good for him. What's this... Um, did he do some magical clip, some, like, video where he did magic, and he laughed like hysteric? Like, it, I mean, I don't think I saw that, but it doesn't oh, surprise me. Oh, he's... He's, yeah, he's different. Once once we delved into him on Oprah and he's jumping up on the couch. Remember that routine? He's talking yes. about Katie. Yes, he's, yes. Once we got it, it's always better when you don't know the people you look up to because they might you mean you may like like they said in Planet of the Apes. 
Don't go looking for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about Tom Cruise. <laughs> All right, episode 197. You said that episode, you said in the T section. Yes. That episode 197 is going to be a good one. I did, yes. And I'm here to tell you it has to be a good one because I'm honoring somebody. I have a new friend. Not really, but kind of. Okay. This episode 197 is in honor of a young guy named Patrick. All right. I don't know Patrick's last name, but I'd like to know Patrick's last name. I was afraid to ask him. Let me tell you who Patrick is. Please. Friday night, Brett's playing in a baseball tournament in Kirkland, Washington, a July 4th weekend baseball tournament, okay? okay? After the game on Friday night, he goes to get gas in Redmond, I believe, and then he ends up at a party in Lake Sammamish with a lot of his teammates. Okay. Not with Dad. <laughs> had a hunch. He decides to change out of his uniform while the gas was pumping to get into whatever he was going to okay. wear at the party. Yeah. Right? I would tell young Brett, typically stay with the pump in case there's a malfunction. But okay, fine. Not, no, I don't not, stay with not, not part of the story. Okay. okay, fine. He realizes upon returning home many hours later that he has no wallet. The wallet's gone. The worst feeling... You can have outside. Everybody has felt oh. it, right? It's get... his first time. He's 16 years old. I think he's, uh, you know, he's driving now. He's yeah. got his own wallet, his ID, whatever. This is the first time that young Brett has ever faced the dilemma of losing his wallet. And as I told him, not the last time. And I think he told me, yes, it is. Good. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> it won't be, but I like I hope the you live a nice, long life. You're going to lose it a bunch of times. Because now you're just staring down the barrel of sitting at the DMV. You got to make 10 calls. Well, to... he's not probably thinking of all that because he's 16, but I'm thinking. But we, well, yeah. we are. Like, yeah. we have credit cards and yeah. debit cards and Target cards. I mean, forget it, yeah. right? It's so much work when you lose your wallet. It's the worst. And it's like midnight when he realizes that, you know, he's back here, 1230, whatever it is. Oh. It's, it's over. It's, it's pretty much over. Right. Saturday comes. And the three of us, Max, Brett, and I, are sitting watching the baseball game. Mom is back east with her parents. Okay. We're watching the Mariners' afternoonish game on Saturday, the exciting one. They had the walk-off hit by Abraham Toro yes. on Saturday. Do you recall? I do. The doorbell rings like in the seventh, and it was kind of like when the phone would ring during Dallas on Friday <laughs> nights in 1981, <laughs> yeah. where Bob Levy would say, "Who would call it during? Who would call it a time like this?" Right. right. By the way, when anyone rings a doorbell at my house, I immediately shoulder roll into another room and peer out the window. <laughs> like, who the hell wants something from me? I don't know why it freaks me out when people come over unannounced. We all did too. We were yeah, like, "Yeah, what do they want? Who's, who's ringing the doorbell?" Right, because Amazon, UPS, whatever, would we'll just leave it. They don't ring the doorbell. If you saw the video of the three of us when the doorbell <laughs> rang, I looked to Max and I go, "You expecting anybody?" And he's like, no, Brett, you expecting anybody? No. Like, we're like, mm, should we answer it? So we go to the door. So Brett decides he's going to the door. And it was great that Brett decided that he go to the door. Yeah. There stood young Patrick with wallet in hand. It's always great when the two adults send the minor to the door to go see what the hell's going on. I don't think the two adults sent the minor. I think the minor went. He did. Okay. But I wasn't. Cool. He's the toughest of the three, apparently. <laughs> there stood young Patrick. Okay. And when you say young, I'm just curious. Like A driver? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like. Okay. Probably 25, 28, oh, gotcha. oh, okay. 30, 25, somewhere you know, in 20s, somewhere right? in 20s. Here you go. Wow. Here you go. Fully intact. Young, young Patrick found the, the 16-year-old guy's wallet in the middle of the road near the gas station. 
We think that the uh, the sixteen year old when he was changing put the wallet on the on the hood on the, the hood or it. on the roof. Yep, and drove off. And oh. this guy found it in the middle of the road. Looked at the uh, the ID, came all the way over, found it in Redmond, came all the way over, wow. rang the doorbell on a Saturday and said, "Here you go." The door-to-door services. Now, now, I've told you I found two wallets recently. I know you have. And I, I reached out on Facebook. Yes. And I, I met with the people or but whatever. But what if but, you don't have? I mean, who's... Yeah, I know. Exactly. If they didn't have it, I guess I would have to just... And this person I met was like an Everett. I was like, oh, oh. I don't want to drive to Everett. Oh. But this door-to-door service is pretty incredible. Door-to-door service. Amazing. There's good Pat- people in the world. That's great to hear. So I run to the door. So I said, who is it? Who, who is it? And Brett yeah. says, the guy with my wallet. And I start. I run to the door. Yeah. To shake his hand. Right, you want to hug him, right? I and mean, I want to give him something, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Here's my question to you. Okay. Because you are my moral compass. I am, boy. What am I doing you. for young Patrick who returned a 16-year-old's wallet? By the way, if you want to know, it had $12 in it. Okay. And it had a student ID. It had a driver's license. It yeah. had a credit card. It had a debit card, whatever. Sure. A debit card. What am I... I've not been faced with this situation before. What am I offering young Patrick as a... I got to give him something, yeah, don't I? You got to give him some cash, right? A little cash. An apple? 20, <laughs> 20 bucks, something for his gas money? I don't know. At gas six, money? At $6 a gallon these days, you can't overlook that. so that. nice. So what's the answer? No, you tell me what the answer is before I tell you what the answer is. At bare minimum, the $12, because not everyone has cash on them these days. So the bare minimum, the 12 bucks is yours. Bare minimum. And hopefully you threw in a little more. If you have it. Not everyone has cash laying around the house. I had cash in my pocket. Oh, you did? Okay. I'm a man of the 60s. That's what I was going to say. I had cash in do. my pocket. Who am I talking to here? Yeah. As soon as I went into my pocket, I kid you not, Patrick said, absolutely not. No, 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 no. And he started walking away. No, 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 no. Wow. Started walking. This is the kind of guy Patrick is. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, I got to get this guy's last name for the podcast. Yeah. I want to give him a shout out, but it's going to sound really weird if I say, what is your last name? I said, my name's Mitch. He goes, Patrick. At that point, I have to ask him for his, I didn't ask him for his last yeah. name. Maybe he just doesn't care. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to shout out. Doesn't no, want I'm any... sure he does. He was the type of yeah. guy who absolutely, he didn't want anything. Wow. He was kind of like, you know, I know what it feels like here. It's <sighs> great. And I was like, no. And so we got into a little bit of a, he's walking away. Yeah. I'm running to the door. Didn't I'm that... like, no, 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 no. Now you guys are wrestling you know, in the he driveway. Comes, he comes to this neighborhood. He comes to this house. Who knows if he knows me or see, sees yeah. me, recognize whatever. No, 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 no. I'm like, I'm giving you something. He's like, no, I'm not. It, just, it, it, it became like 10 seconds of like yeah. haggling. <laughs> so I handed him $40. I said, it's great. It's a little bit of gas money. Right. Or something, something like that. Yeah. Buy a meal or something else. And he, he, and if you think that he was just like kind of not serious about taking the like not taking the money. Yeah. He was so uncomfortable taking the money. Yeah. You could just see it when I gave it to him. He took it. He was like, ah, you could see how he was like, he almost was taking the money just so he could leave. He so just you'd wanted, stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> Which is a problem that podcast listeners have all the time. That's, that's right. I'm, I'm happy he took it. He deserves it. He deserves a little something, right? He didn't have to do that. I mean, driving to your house, Redmond to your house, I don't know, 20 minutes or whatever. We literally know. spent the next few minutes, the three of us, actually Max didn't care. But but Brett and I were like looking at each other, like, isn't that nice? Yeah, it's crazy. And so I started thinking about what would I do if I found a wallet, and I concluded that Drop I would kick it into Lake Washington. No, oh, okay. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know how to do face. I'm not on face. Well, I, the show's on Facebook, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know how to reach somebody like through social media. 
How would I do that? I, I would literally have to get in the car and drive it, and I think I would do the same thing. Yeah. I, I'd hope i do pay the same Pay it forward, thing. right? That's yeah, what I'm I'd hope it forward. It, because I know the, the complete relief oh. that you get when somebody hands you your wallet back. I mean, two weeks ago, I'm at a softball game. My wife texts me, or calls me. I yeah. can't find my debit card. I lost it. I was like, can I just watch a game and not have to call a bank and do the... And then five minutes later, she's like, oh, don't worry. I found it. It was in my back pocket. And But that, that sense of relief. Oh. It's like, oh, I love you. Oh Thank you God. so much for fighting that. I did not want to deal with no. this right now. No. Such a great... And, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but um, I'm kind of a dingbat sometimes, and I'm not really paying attention. <laughs> um, <clears throat> do you ever get cash out at the old Safeway or QFC or at the... Occasionally, I'll get like 20 no, bucks I'm a man out. of the 60s. I don't do any of that. Yeah, that, you don't do self-checkout. <laughs> I can't tell you embarrassingly how many times I've left the cash just hanging out of the machine. And what? Just, and just walked away because... From the ATM? Yeah, no, no. From You get it from the self-checkout stand. Oh, yeah. I don't know how they do that. Yeah. So it's it's not an ATM per se. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I do it a you million times. You leave it times. for the next guy. <laughs> I can't, yeah, but I'd like mine if that's okay. I can't tell you how many times I've gone oh, back God, and, really? some, and someone turned it in. Like, to, to piggyback on what you're saying about there are some good people out there. Every time I've gone back and someone turned it in with the receipt. That's nice. It's it's so nice. I mean, it's 20 bucks. Not going to make or break anyone's lives, hopefully, right? It's 20 bucks. But it is nice to know that there are some people out there who Patrick. give a crap. So because I don't have anybody's last, I don't have Patrick's last name. Yeah. I'm hopeful that anybody who's listening in this audience that knows a Patrick, assume he's the one. Good. And just, like, thank him for me. And they'll be like, what do you think? <laughs> Doesn't matter. This this show is dedicated to all Patrick's out there. I like it. Good. Patrick's. Well, Patrick's are the best. Yep. Yeah. That's Just great. such a nice thing. Yeah. A I mean, really, really nice thing. And I'm I wanted to bring it up. That's putting cool. notes together for the show. I go into a news website and people are bombing the shit out of each other and yeah. there's shootings and Roe v. Wade. It's and nice to have a Patrick. On Twitter. And it's just like, God, I can't do this. So to hear about Patrick. Nice to have a Patrick. Very nice. I wish there was somebody listening to this that actually... Knew him, knew yeah. the real Patrick, or somehow I could get to Patrick. Just nice to have a nice person in the world. And Patrick, if you are listening, you deserve that money. Believe me, you could have got a lot more out of this family. <laughs> <laughs> you played your cards wrong. Believe me, they would have paid a lot more. And speaking how, of how much money you could have gotten out of us, yeah. <laughs> the question that does Slick Hawk sent out on Twitter on Monday was... What are we, essentially, what are we doing with Julio Rodriguez? Right. And I thought I'd address that because it's kind of an interesting story. We're all kind of on the edge of our seat with yeah. this guy. He's now, at the time of this recording, he's hitting like 279 or 277. He's got 14 home runs, got 40 RBIs. He's got 20 stolen bases. And he's just off to even a better start, start than any of us could have imagined. And he does it with such joy and the smile. smile. Yeah. He's just everything that you want in a young superstar to be. Hopefully he will be a superstar to be. By the way, there have been a lot of guys that have gotten out to hot, hot starts and then it didn't work out. You have to say that. I do have to say that. All right. Yeah, it's, it's happened. I'm sure. What are we doing with Julio in terms of the contract? Which... The reason why I believe it's an interesting question is because of baseball. Baseball is different than football and basketball. Yeah. In football and basketball, you come out as a rookie, you get drafted, you sign a, a contract, a three or four year option, whatever it is. And then at the end of the first contract, you're a free agent. Yeah. You either get paid in full or you hit the bricks. Yeah. Or, or in, they, in football, they, there's some, there's some, you know, franchise tagging and all right, that right, stuff. Right. But, but it's a lot more kind of cut and dry in football and baseball, 
and I'm assuming football, basketball, and I'm assuming hockey. I don't know hockey yeah, at I don't all. Uh, but baseball, you've got this service time thing, right? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Which complicates it all. Essentially, six years, depending upon exactly when you start and how many games you play that for. You, you just you, Let's use the round number of six years. A baseball team has got control of its prospect, of Julio. The Mariners have control of Julio for six full years. He can't go anywhere. Right. He's their property, and he's really paying for peanuts, comparatively speaking. Like, if he ends up, let's say you double his numbers, and he ends up with 28 home runs and 80 RBIs and 40 stolen bases yep. and hits 280. That's a guy who... If he was 27 years old and a free agent, <laughs> yeah. would get 30, 25 million a year, right. 30 million a year. If you were, if you were a 30 home run, 80 RBI, oh, 280, 40 stolen base guy, yeah, forget you'd it. be getting 35. You'd be at 30, 35 million dollars a year. And, now, he course, can, and he can play on defense too. I mean, and he plays defense, right? right. <laughs> and he's a, and he's marketable, For, and he's oh, yeah. handsome, he's and a he's star a, in the a great interview. Yeah. I mean, that guy would get <laughs> right. boatloads. That guy would get Mike Trout money. But he can't get Mike Trout money because he's only 21 years old. Yeah. And he faces another five more years after this one of club control. But what do you do? Because in the old days, there was no question. They played their six years and then, you know, three of them are arbitration. They go to arbitration mm. to decide the salary. But essentially, the team's got control of you. And then what happens? He goes and plays for the Yankees at $40 million. That's right. Or he's yes. A-Rod and he goes to Texas or he goes to the Dodgers who pay $500 million for yeah. their... You, Boston jumps in and says, hey, thanks for this guy. We appreciate it. Th thanks the, for the first six years of his career. The Tampa Bay Rays, when they have a guy like Wander Franco, mm -hmm. they they, they got to say to themselves, when he's six years in, he's not going to be here. Yeah, you can't, you we, can't we have no chance. Yeah, you can't compete. We have no chance of year seven of Wander Franco's career. Yeah. So what do the Rays do? They offer Franco, and this is what it's become this day and age, as people know. They offer Franco a big contract. If he's willing to give them more than the six years, seven, eight, and nine, and guarantee them that he's going to be in Tampa if they want him yeah. in seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, they give him more than the peanuts and they guarantee a bunch of money. So he gets something and they get something, right? Yeah. And yeah, you can't just let him walk. You can't let him you walk. Can't, yeah. You can't let him walk. So, but you don't know at 20 years old whether Wander Franco is going to be as good as we, <laughs> we think Wander Franco. He was the number one prospect. Right. And what the what the Rays did, and I think you look at two examples when you ask the question about Julio. I believe that John Stanton it, it is is an idiot if he doesn't enter into some sort of negotiations with Julio with Julio Rodriguez and his agent at the end of this season, the first year. If he's going to have this type of a year yeah. and this type of an impact and show what he's showing, Stanton has to sit down and and really depoto and really kind of try to see if they could come to some common ground on a long-term contract with Julio. So the question becomes, what does that contract look like? Yeah. Well, I think you use two very recent examples and you can come to a pretty good conclusion Kind of like the DK Metcalf deal. Right. You look at these wide receivers, what they're getting, and you pretty much know Those are your what specs. the numbers. Yeah. You yeah. Get, you, and there's two really great examples, Scott, of of guys who just did this. Okay. But they did it at different times. 
When I say different times. In their career. Correct. Gotcha. But very recently. Okay. So let's start with Wander Franco. People don't know who Wander Franco is. 20 years. He's the number one prospect in baseball. I remember him. He's a shortstop. He's 20 now, 21 years old. He was 20 last year when he came up with the Rays. And last November, after one half season, he had played 70 games. That's okay. it. Okay. Okay. They gave him an 11-year, $182 million contract with a 12th-year team option. So the team could keep him for 12 years from age 20, so to 32. Right. Still, right? still relatively that would young. Pay, and he would get $223 million. So Wander Franco, in exchange for giving them not only the next five years that they were going to get or six years they could get, but five or six more, yeah. he got... $223 million guaranteed for 12 years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of, after 70 games, by the way, you ask what kind of a player was he? Well, he's different than Julio. Yeah. He's a, he's a shortstop. He doesn't have as much power as Julio. In those 70 games, he had 288, 18 doubles, five triples, seven homers, 40 RBIs. He had 368 in the playoffs. Whew. And, oh, by the way, he got on base in 43 consecutive games as a 20-year-old wow. shortstop in those 70 games. The craziest part about everything you just said was that they have playoffs in baseball. <laughs> that part, I, that's, I, what, that, that's what you got out of it. That bumped me. I was like, oh, my God, they have playoffs. They do. Okay, all right, they go do. ahead. Sorry. So they gave that guy, I just gave you his numbers, yeah. at age 20, uh, an 11 or 12-year contract, depending on what the team wants. If it's 11 years, it's 182. If it's 12 years, it's $223 million. That's after... 70 games. Okay. So he's still five years away or six years away from free agency. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Now here's example number two, another guy you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. San Diego. San Diego. Yep. Son of F Fernando Tatis. Who was <laughs> Makes sense if he's a junior. Yes. Thank you for that. Okay. At age 22, last offseason or the, the offseason before last, he signed a... You ready? Yes. 14-year, $340 million contract. Okay. He was 22 years old. Now, what's the difference between Franco and Tatis besides their different kinds of ballplayers? By the way, Tatis is kind of a Julio Rodriguez type of player. Franco isn't. Okay. They're, they're similar, similar makeups, power, speed, you know, they're a pretty good, a pretty good comp. Okay. All right. The difference is, is that Tatis did it after he had played two seasons. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So now he's two out of six. He's four. He's four years away from free agency. Yep. He's not six like Franco was. Right. He's getting closer and closer. He's four years away. So you feel. If I can jump in, do, do you yes. feel a little more comfortable giving him that contract since you've seen two years as opposed? You've seen to two years 70. instead of seventy games. Okay. In those two years. By the way, he had 39 home runs. Uh, it wasn't two full years. It was 143 games. So kind of the two put together for one year. Gotcha. 39 homers in 143 games, 27 stolen bases, third in the MVP voting right. in his second year. Okay. okay. So now he's two years in. He's 22. He's four years away from free agency. And the Padres are saying the same thing to themselves as the Rays were saying. He's four years away from going to the Yankees. Right. We've got no shot. Right. He's going to make $40 million a year in four years. What are we going to do? So what they did is they gave him $340 million guaranteed. And what did he give them? 
a 14-year contract. He will be 36 years old. He has said to the Padres, I'm playing here for the next, yeah. as long as you want me, I'm obliged to play here until I'm 36 years old. Yeah. So each one of them, he got 340 guaranteed when he was going to make peanuts over the next four years and then big money after that. And they got the Padres 14 years of a guy that they would have only had for four more years if he had played the four years and gone to the Yankees. Are you on the same page with me so far? Yeah, I'm just, I'm a, do you, are you surprised that they would accept these enormously long contracts? Because the way salaries are going, they might want to renegotiate this at of some course, point. Of course, right? Of course. A little bit, but the other thing is they could go in a slump. They could get hurt. They could be a... Dustin yeah. Ackley, they could they could be a flash in the pan. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're feeling you, you like you like the Tatis stock a little more. You're feeling a little safer with that one, right? Than the 70 game. I'm, I'm sure he'll be great, Wander Franco, right? But right, he's been okay this year, just okay. Okay, well, you, 250. Yeah. He's a 250 hitter this year, not doing much. I just wonder if these guys are going to be renegotiating when somebody makes you know a hundred million a year at some point. I right? don't. And in baseball, they don't. You don't renegotiate. You don't, okay. you don't see the renegotiation very often. No. When Otani makes 82 million a year, I think when it's all said and done, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to make 340 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So 36, and then in 36, if he's still a good ball player. He can go and make some more money. Crazy. So that brings us back to Julio. Yeah. I feel like I know what your answer is, but I do want to hear. Well, I mean, now you know. Yeah. He's somewhere. I would say he's. At the end of this year, he will have played one year. Yeah. He would be five years away from free agency. Five years away from, as I like to say, going to play for the New York Yankees. Correct. Five years of Mariner ball. And by the way, he's 21. So in five years, he'll be 26. And eligible to make forty million dollars or fifty million dollars a year, whatever they're paying at that time, they're paying Trout four twenty-seven, whatever it is. Yeah. So, what would he want at the end of this season? And what would the Mariners want? Well, as I said, Stanton's an idiot if he doesn't go to their rep and say, "All right, let's sit down, let's do something to give him more money over these next five or six years." But we want him right beyond that. And Julio is probably saying to himself, kind of like what you just said, I'll do that, but I don't want to do like Tatis to where I'm 36. Let's do something. So what I would want if I were Julio Rodriguez, I would say to myself, I would say to myself, okay, I'm 21. I played one year. He turns 22 in December of this year. Okay. So I'm 21. I would say, let's do something until I'm 31. Okay. Because at 31, if I'm still the player that I think I'll be at 31. Yeah, who knows what the salaries are at that point. 50 yeah. million a year. Right. I could get I could get Mike Trout's easy $427 million contract. Now, Mike Trout did that at age 27. A little different. I'd yeah. be 31. So I, I should be able to get $400 million or whatever but it is. Or whatever. 10 years from now, the baseball salary? I can't even yeah, imagine. Yeah, but he'll be 31. Be. So right. are you going to pay him till he's 41? I guess you pay him till he's 40. Yeah, he's going to get. I know. Crazy money. Yep. So I would I would come to the Mariners and say, here's what I'm willing to do. I'll do nine years. A nine-year contract extension right now, okay. which means you get me for the five that we already knew you were getting me for and four more. I give you four extra years of my free agent years. You get me for the next nine years. What I get is a bunch of money, and we'll talk about that in a second, guaranteed money. I get paid a lot more than peanuts over the next four years. I get a lot of money over those last five years, four years. But I also get at age 31, 
the opportunity, if I'm still a state-of-the-art yeah. ball player, to then sign another contract for $400 million instead of being 35 or 36 like Tatis, right. who will get a contract if he's still good, but he's 36 at that point. That's why I was asking about that 14-year contract. I mean, well, Wander Franco did 11 from yeah. age 20. Right. To get him to 31. Yeah, yeah. Tatis did 14 from 22 to get him to 36. And then if you do the numbers, well, Franco's Franco's is $18 million a year. Um, Tatis's is $24 million average salary a year, but Tatis gave him till 36. Yeah. That's why he's getting 24 a year average because he gave the Padres all the way to 36. So if Julio's only willing to give you until 31 and still 36, let's say 20 million. So let's say nine years, 180 million guaranteed for Julio this November, this October, after the first season's over. Nine years, 180 million. He gets 180 million when he was going to make Bupkis over the next four years. (laughs) He gets 180 over the next nine years. He's set for life. And in nine years, he's 30 or 31 years old. And if he's still a great ball player, he then gets $400 million more from somebody else or the Mariners or whomever. That's what I think the solution is. Nine years, $180 million for Julio in November during the offseason before year two of his And you're talking career. as his agent, not as the Mariners. Both. I think that's a fair deal for both, de- for both sides. I don't know why it feels low to me. Feels low. 180 considering what the salaries are going to be in five, six, seven years. I don't know. I, I think if I, I bet you Julio's agent is going to want more than that. That's, that's my prediction. I, I don't think they want 180. I bet they probably want at least 200. I don't know. It just seems okay, a little well, low. Okay, well, 200's another 20 million. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know, 180. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's only played one year. Who knows? Maybe he could, who knows how his career is going to go. But I feel like well, if, if he continues this year, I think his agent's going to step with a lot with a lot higher Again, demands. Wander Franco, eleven years, one eighty-two. Yeah, I'm saying nine years, one eighty. Now, if he wants to do Tatis's contract, he wants to give the Mariners until he's thirty-six. He doesn't. But if he's willing to do that, <laughs> yeah. then then we can step up. I'm willing bit. to give him Tatis's contract. Right, three hundred forty hey, years, three hundred sixty, whatever, three hundred forty million. Take it. You want to go to thirty-six? I'll do that too. But I, I'm thinking that maybe he and his agent will not want to go to 36. They'll only want to go to 30 or 31. Get that so other contract. Start, yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. other contract. Anyway, there you go. Mariner fans deserve this guy. I hope he's everything that we think he could be. Because Hope he's healthy. Yep. And uh, keeps playing the game with the same enjoyment and the same fun and God, charisma just, that he is. But boy, oh boy. Keep enjoying it. I, I don't know. I don't know about anybody else, any other Mariner fans. When I turn the TV on, I turn it on to watch him. And you know what's... That's literally why I turn... Yeah, I'm interested in the Mariners. Yeah, Robbie Ray has been incredible the last five starts. Yeah, they're winning a little bit. And yeah, I'm a big Mariners fan. But I got to tell you, when he steps to the plate, I stop what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's background stuff. I could be cooking or clean or whatever. When Julio steps to the plate, I stop what I'm doing. Yeah, he's fun. And it's scary. Remember how he? people thought that the umps were like really pressing him on the strike, squeezing him on the strike zone? Yeah. Think about that. He had a tough run where he was getting some pretty shitty calls by these umps. I mean, what if he wasn't getting his numbers might be better than what they are now. That was a thing people were talking about. These umps are really trying to stick it to the rookie by making some bad calls. His numbers, well, you're, I can see you're sort of rolling your eyes at it, but you know, it could be a few more home runs, a few more hits. I don't know. It's impressive to see what he's doing, even considering how it started for him.
Yeah, he's, he's incredible. He's the best hit, well, outside of Ty France, who's hurt. He's the best hitter on the team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who else is even, I don't have the number. And they're moving him around the lineup. Now they're hitting him leadoff. Wow. They're hitting him leadoff now. Uh, they've hit him second. They've hit him third. I think they've hit him fourth, fifth. I mean, they're moving him around. They're trying to figure out how's the best way to use this guy. It's fun. It's fun. Really fun. It's a good problem to have, right? Really fun. Yeah. I think you're going to really enjoy, for different reasons, the three interviews on this show. Yep. I really do. Uh, they'll make you think. They'll make you wonder. I want to hear your reaction to some of them next week. Uh, but I've got a billion things on <laughs> the other lie. stuff segment. So we'll do that after, after the interviews. Hey, it's time for a visit from Jordan Flowers, who leads the cross-country mortgage team in Kirkland. How are you, Jay Flo? Hey, Mitch. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. It's been a while. Yes, Good to be back. Has. It's nice to have you back. With numbers skyrocketing, how can Jay Flo and his great Kirkland team help Mitch Unfiltered listeners? These days? Yeah, it's a great question and one we're getting from clients also. Rates have been going up pretty sharply over the last couple of months, but we have started to see it level out. Rates actually kind of tick back down slightly. It is a great time for buyers to be buying, even with the higher interest rates. It's actually providing a bit of an opportunity for buyers to not get into quite as many multiple offer competitive situations and wonderful time to be buying and getting that house you want and not getting in such competition and then just take care of it with a refinance with rates when they come back down. Jordan, tell me a little bit about buying rental properties and other unique programs that you guys offer at Cross Country Mortgage. Yeah, we are actually doing a lot with investment buyers right now, one to four unit properties. But we do also have a unique service coverage ratio program that allows you to not provide any income qualifying documents. We qualify off of the income the property itself produces. So we're just evaluating the collateral piece and if it's going to be a good investment for you. So Jordan, even with the numbers a little higher these days, you're still helping refinance clients pull cash out for various reasons. Yeah, yeah. Those rate term refinances that were just clogging up the system a year ago have mostly subsided here, but we are helping a lot of clients with cash out refinances, equity refinances to pay off higher interest rate debt, as well as pull that cash to buy that second home or investment property that they want to do and put that money they've earned in their house to work on more real estate and helping people build more wealth. So how do I reach you? If a Mitch Unfiltered listener has questions about what they just heard, where do we find Jordan Flowers? Yeah, same bat line, same bat channel, 425-890-2957. There you go, Jordan Flowers in Cross Country Mortgage, the Kirkland office. He's been an incredible partner. Mitch Unfiltered would not be possible without guys like Jordan Flowers. Unfiltered. Breaking news, the Big Ten is getting bigger, and it's going out west. USC and UCLA are planning to leave the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, both teams in Los Angeles. The closest school in the Big Ten to Los Angeles, Nebraska. No question, no question what constitutes the biggest sports story of last week anyway. The startling announcement, at least to me, that UCLA and USC are off to greener pastures in 2024. The Big Ten, leaving all of us on the other 10 campuses wondering, what's next? Who better to help us understand than a man who just radiates Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12? Rick Neuheisel joins us 
on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, my friend? Mitch, I'm wonderful, and you hit the nail on the head when you said they're off to greener pastures with the emphasis on green. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this is a money play. Uh, look, at when, when the SEC snagged Oklahoma and Texas from the Big 12 just a year ago, it sent shockwaves through college football. Uh, the Big Ten is clearly in position to compete with the SEC, and they've done the same thing, taking the Los Angeles market with one fell swoop, taking both USC and UCLA, and I'm sure UCLA and USC. I've got, I've got the letter, Mitch, from Martin Jarman, the current AD, because I'm an alum there, mm-hmm. as to why they did it. And obviously it's to ensure the future of their athletic department and to make sure that they can keep all 25 sports, which is just a financial issue. I know it's going to make some people bitter. I know it's going to cause some real travel issues for their teams, but uh, 90 million to a hundred million a year is too big a ticket to be passing up. So off they go. We'll talk about some of the things that you just mentioned here in a minute, all of the ADs, the PAC 12 ADs and, presidents and chancellors they're all saying that we were surprised we're startled we're surprised by all of this do you believe them i believe that they're surprised that it happened uh without you know some measure of information coming forth that this was being considered but i also found that that statement by the pac-10 presidents that no one committed that they while they said they were looking at expansion opportunities no one said that all 10 are committed to staying because i don't think they are I think there are a number of schools that are looking for greener pastures themselves. And so for a while, it's going to be very, very uncertain for George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12. We'll come back to him in a second. Um, I have to imagine that the guys that are really driving all of this are the executives at ESPN and Fox and CBS. I mean, take Fox for an example, Rick. They have the Big Ten contract, right? They also, right. they also own the vast majority of the Big Ten network. No one isn't going to convince me that they aren't telling Kevin Warren, here's who we'd like to have in the conference, and here's who we'll pay bigger dollars for if they're in the conference. I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. And it's also fascinating that Apple has gotten back into the negotiations, at least if you trust what you read in uh, a Sports Business Journal. Uh, that Apple's back in the play in terms of content here. Listen, sports content is hugely valuable because it has to be consumed in real time and advertisers are assured that their ads are going to get watched because you just don't want to hear the score and you know save it for when you want to watch it after dinner or after your evening chores. This, this, is, this is a monster, monster enterprise, and there's no question it's a feeding frenzy right now as people try to get their hands around both the SEC and the Big Ten. Do we want TV executives deciding who's in what conference? It seems to blur the lines for me. I, I kind of want TV to just show us the games and let other minds decide who's where and why. Yeah, unfortunately, what we have here is an arms race. And, and Larry Scott, as bright a guy as he was, and I spent time with him and I can vouch for his intelligence, just made a calculation mistake in signing a 12-year deal 
television has changed dramatically in the 12 years since he inked this deal, which was the largest of its kind when it took hold in 2012. It just has changed. And the ACC right now, Jim Phillips, the commissioner there, has got his hands tied. He, he's got a deal that runs through 2036. I mean, you just can't be stuck like that. Jim Delaney looks genius right now for having inked a short-term deal with Fox the last time out. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason because now he's able to put things together and listen to the executives as to how to package something that makes financial sense for all. Mm. While you're pointing the finger and everybody's pointing the finger at Larry Scott, he was on our radio show a ton. And every time he visited, I asked him about the impasse with DirecTV. The Pac-12 network has been a colossal disaster, at least from a revenue standpoint. It'll probably even cease to exist as we know it in 2024. Is he the villain? And part B of the question is, what could George Klyovkov have been doing in the last year? Could he have come right in and either done a deal with DirecTV or at least gotten out in front of this thing with USC and UCLA or were his hands truly tied in the last 12 months? That's an interesting question, and George Klyovkov would probably uh, argue that his hands were just, as you suggest, tied. I would tell you, though, that when George Klyovkov got hired and the fact that he was hired from MGM Entertainment with a background in, in NBC television and Hulu and all that stuff, his job was to create an opportunity for a mega blockbuster deal that would encourage schools like USC and UCLA to stay. And he should have been in position to tell those guys, those schools, that this is all in the works. Unfortunately, it never happened. And they decided to take the ball and run themselves and got themselves in position to be courted by the uh, Big Ten. And now are off to the, as we said, the greener pastures because they couldn't turn down this opportunity. They just couldn't, just as Oklahoma and Texas couldn't do it as well. And, and that makes for bad blood with their former partners at the Big 12 and Pac-12 respectively. But at the end of the day, this keeps them very, very relevant relative to the rest of college football. So what does George do now? Well, he's got a couple. He, he's got a hope like heck he can hang on to the Oregons and Washingtons. I'm sure Cal and Stanford with the Bay Area television market being lucrative will also be courted by others. I think what he should be doing is having a lot of strong conversations with Brett Yarmark, the uh, new commissioner of the Big 12. Uh, he comes from a similar background as Klyovkov. He's from Rock Nation. He was the COO there. He's got background in media. I think the two of them need to band forces, if you will, maybe at a school or two, but band forces and see if they can't create over the course of, you know, Texas all the way to the Pacific Ocean, a uh, lucrative content deal with those who end up on the short end of the stick with the negotiations with the Big Ten. You would think that the Big Ten and the Big 12 would love to have UW and Oregon, but are Oregon State and Washington State an impediment to that? Well, you would think based on, you know, the regents of, uh, of Oregon and Washington that they would want to keep those schools together. But that, Mitch, that would have had to have been true with Cal and UCLA. That would have had to have been true with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And yet, here we are. 
with these schools, you know, breaking ranks and going in other directions. So I don't see either of those border regions in either the states of Oregon or Washington keeping one from getting a monster opportunity just because it may not include the other. So why isn't Washington, why isn't Oregon a part of this USC, UCLA exit to the Big Ten? Shouldn't they be? I don't know exactly if this is a closed door. I, I would guess that it's not. I, I've heard rumors that Oregon and either Washington or Notre Dame are going to be in an announcement relatively soon. We'll wait and see if there's any veracity to that. And maybe it's because you don't want to go with an odd number. So you're waiting for Notre Dame to make up their mind to determine what the next move is. Hmm. It's anybody's guess at this time, but I do not think that realignment has finished by any stretch of the imagination. How about San Diego State? How about Boise State? How about BYU to the now Pac-10? Well, BYU's already inked a deal with the Big 12, so they're going to be joining ranks in 2023. Boise and San Diego State certainly are attractive. For years, the Pac-12 looked down their nose at the state schools. They, They went with the UC schools, but they looked down their nose from an academic standpoint at the state schools, So San Diego state would still be outside looking in on that regard, but with a television market that includes the city of San Diego, maybe they look, get over that. I'm also told that SMU and maybe even TCU are uh, considering a a membership opportunity in the uh, PAC 12. So, and the Dallas market would be attractive to uh, any television suitors. So we'll wait and see. You talked about the travel. I don't get it. For USC and UCLA teams, especially non-football, you know, these non-revenue-generating sports, these athletes, they're going to go back and forth to College Park, Maryland, and Piscataway, New Jersey, Rick? How do these kids remain students, or is it online? I, I don't get how it how it's even possible for all these athletes to go back and forth like that. Well, I'm with you. It's going to be troublesome and their mode of transportation is going to have to change. They're going to have to be traveling uh, via charter flight. Uh, And with the enhanced revenue, Martin Jarman made reference to that in the letter to alums that they're going to be exploring ways to travel that make this more reasonable. The other thing I would tell you is maybe not all 25 sports are headed to the Big Ten. I would imagine that in a lot of Olympic sports, they're going to try to stay in alignment with the Pac-12. The question is, will they be offered that opportunity? Answer that question. Would the Pac-12 say, yeah, we'll take all the other sports and we'll let your football and basketball programs go off to the Big Ten? Why would they say yes to that? Well, that's a great question. Given the heat of the moment, I would say it's probably not, you know how you have to figure out the right time to ask mom and dad for the (laughs) car for the weekend? Yes. Yeah, they're going to have to ask at the right time. But you don't want to cut your nose off to spite your face either. So uh, I just think some time's got to pass before all those questions are answered. So let's finish with just a personal question. You starred in the pack. what was it, eight, pack 10 You coached, obviously. <laughs> obviously, you coached in different spots. I mean, you are you are pack 10 pack 8 pack 12 Rick Neuheisel. Was it a somber? Is this a somber day? In 2024, when you're watching UCLA play Ohio State every year and UCLA at Michigan and no longer UCLA at Washington, is that going to be sad for you or not? It is a little sad because, as you point out, I'm nostalgic. I, I you know, have been booed or fired by everybody in the Pac-12. 
And uh, I, I'm going to miss the Bruins and the Trojans being part of that conference. I understand, just as I said on radio many a, a year ago, that I understand why Oklahoma and Texas are doing it. But I also understand why the other members of the conference are really disappointed and feel a little bit betrayed. Because, hey, we were all in this together, and now we're not. Yeah, That leaves me a little bit uh, melancholy. But that being said, for UCLA now, they actually have a chance to get back into this conversation given the resources. Now the question, Mitch, will be, will they use them? And I'm, I'm going to be wildly disappointed because for so long I heard as a coach that we just didn't have the ability to compete yeah. at that level yeah. based on finances and based on the you know economics of the athletic department. Yeah. Those excuses are no longer valid. So hopefully they'll They'll play for the big prizes now because there's no reason not to. So I, I I save the most important question for last, and that is, is there any truth to the rumor that Rick Neuheisel felt the need to jet off to Hawaii to adequately contemplate this news about your alma mater? <laughs> is that true or is that not true? I actually learned. I was li- <laughs> I was watching the results of the California Amateur. Oh. where my son was involved in, he was trying to get from the sweet 16 to the elite eight of the Cal-Am. And I was going flashing on my phone, buying all the packages that gave me the Wi-Fi, And all of a sudden it came across my phone that this had happened. Oh. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is big time news. And before I could even read the article, I saw that Joe had, had advanced to the elite eight. Oh, nice. uh, unfortunately, that was, that was the end of the road. He lost trying to get to the semis, but uh, it was a great run and just a fascinating time in college football, but I don't think we're done. I think there'll be another announcement or two before we actually kick it off for the 2022 season. And what happened in U.S. Open qualifying a year later after the big playoff of 12 months ago? Oh, uh, he, uh, he had a quadruple bogey and shot 71, oh. uh, even par, but uh, the quadruple bogey is a little too much to get by in, in the local stage where you only get 18 holes. Okay. So he'll have to wait another day. We've got uh, the transmiss coming up. We've got uh, U.S. amateur qualifying getting ready. So the summer of Joe continues. <laughs> and the summer of Rick at the beautiful McKenna Resort <laughs> In uh, in Hawaii. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, thank you for jumping back on. We look to we look forward to talking to you. Football season. Enjoy the rest of your stay in Hawaii. Okay. I'll do it, Mitch. Thanks so much. Talk soon. I don't know much, but I know this: it takes a lot longer for summer to arrive in the Northwest than Zeke's Pizza to your door, ladies and gentlemen. Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Hiya, Dan. What's new in the Zeke's Pizza world these days? Yeah, no kidding. Only takes us thirty minutes. Takes summer a lot longer. <laughs> Uh, lots of new stuff in the Zeke's world. You and I tend to talk about new store openings a lot, and we got a good one coming up at the end of July. We're opening at Terrace Station, which is a transit-oriented development right off I-5 up in Mount Lake Terrace, kind of north of 205th. And it is going to be a really cool restaurant. It's really big. It's a full-blown pizza pub. It's got a huge outdoor patio. It's going to be a cool spot. Nice. And what pizza is Dan Black and the Black family focusing on these days? <laughs> We are eating nothing but pepperoni right nice. now. It's because we have this great new locally sourced pepperoni that we're putting on all of our pizzas. We just switched over. Local company called Coro, they used to be Salumi. You know, we typically don't do local just for the sake of local. We end up doing a lot of local stuff because it tastes better. We want as much of our purchasing power to go into flavor as opposed to transportation. And so we end up local a lot and it feels good to be doing it on the pepperoni because 
it noticeably tastes a lot better. So we've been eating a lot of it. Of course, we like doing business with our friends and family and neighbors and stuff uh, when we can. And so, yeah, it's been all pepperoni all the time for the black family lately. I'm not a huge drinker, but I'm very much aware of your Northwest beer selection. Dan, tell me about Z side frozen IPA. Yeah, as, as you know, Mitch, we do a lot of what we call collab beers, and that's that's when we partner with local breweries and they they brew a batch of beer that basically is exclusively Zeke's. And so at any given time, we have three or four really great Northwest beers on that you can only get at Zeke's. It's kind of what's special about us. But this summer, our flagship is Z-Side Frozen IPA. We're doing it with Fremont Brewing. Almost everybody knows who Fremont is. They're one of the biggest uh, breweries in the Northwest. They have that great outdoor beer garden that everybody loves. And they, you know, they just brew great beer. Z-Side, it's a light drinking summer IPA. It was made with an experimental hop that they froze at the time of harvest last fall. Mm -hmm. And so it tastes really fresh and is really light drinking, really good for summer. Man, a lot of good things going on at Zeke's Pizza these days. We really appreciate their support back in the radio days and now on the podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. We love them. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Another major decision by the Supreme Court in a high-profile case involving religious liberty and the separation of church and state. The court's conservative majority ruled today that a public high school football coach in Washington state has the right to pray on the 50-yard line after a game with members of his team, an act that he lost his job over. Our next guest on this episode 197 of Mitch Unfiltered has been at the center of what's become a national issue and controversy ruled upon by the Supreme Court. Former Bremerton High School assistant football coach Joseph Kennedy, who claims to have been fired by the school district after refusing to stop his postgame midfield prayer. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled last Monday that Coach Kennedy was entitled to offer a short private personal prayer on the field after games and that the school district had discriminated against him when it tried to restrict him. Coach Kennedy joins us. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Is it Joe or Joseph? What do you like better for Mitch Unfiltered? You can call me anything these days. I'm good. <laughs> okay. How have you felt since last Monday? I would imagine since the ruling came down. Vindicated and and what's next for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you go through a million different kind of uh, emotions and, you know, the, the super high than the flat line of trying to just process what's going on. And then as the day's gone on today, I think I, I'm finally back home with my wife and my dogs. And I feel just, I mean, amazingly just at peace. It, it, it's a coolest feeling. The district has said that it's assessing the decision and exactly what it means. They've been quoted as saying, we have serious doubts about whether Coach Kennedy really wants to coach again, no matter what he might be saying now, because he lives in Florida. He and his wife moved there two years ago. Set the record straight for us, Joseph. Yes, yeah, so we moved down here to Florida two years ago. The courts weren't doing anything at that time. So we were wondering, what do we do? I mean, our life was kind of in a standstill. So, you know, we just uh, went empty, empty nesters. We sold our house and moved down here right by our dad. And we've been taking care of him. And this is never meant to be a permanent thing. This is just us coming down here for this season. And we've been waiting for the courts to rule. And if those guys doubt that I'm going to come back up, 
you know, take a shot and, and, and say, okay, we'll give you your job back. Like I asked, and you'll see me on the field. It's pretty simple. I don't follow Bremerton high school football. I apologize for that. So I'll ask you what has changed there in the six or seven years since you've been gone. Is it still a fit? Is it still a, a good match? You and Bremerton high school is the coaching staff still intact from when you left? No, there's been a, such a turnover the head coach, uh, offensive coordinator. We still have the same defensive co- coordinator, but everything else has changed. And, you know, the kids have changed. It's been, man, two complete cycles of, of kids, you know, incoming freshmen that, that have um, graduated and then a whole new freshman all the way through graduation. So I, I don't know what I'd be walking into, but Hey, I I'm willing to go up there, take a look, talk to the coaches, talk to the school, talk to the community, the players, and we'll see if it's a good fit, but my job being back and being restored is all I asked for. So if that happens, let me come up, check it out. And we could just work out logistics from there. Do you care where you coach? Or do you just want to get into coaching, back into coaching? No, I, it, I really care about where I coach. Um, who knows about uh, following seasons, but when you have unfinished business and you, you don't leave on your own terms, and the whole principle of it was that that's, that's where I was born. I was raised up there in Bremerton. Uh, all my kids graduated from there. My wife worked there. And not to mention my family's all up there. So all four of my kids, two grandkids, and my mom and dad, foster families, Everybody and everything we know is up in Washington and Bremerton. So even if it doesn't go back to that school after a couple seasons, you know, who, who knows where God's going to lead us from there. Joseph, go back and shed some light for me and our audience on how specifically your tenure as coach ended in Bremerton, because there seems to be some discrepancy as I read up on the story and understand the story. Was it as simple as you were asked to stop? And when you didn't, you were notified by the district that you've been terminated or did your contract not get renewed? Did you not reapply? There's been lots of different versions of this story. Right. And, and you know, with every single story, there's always a little bit of truth in all of them. It came down to where the school, they received a compliment in what we were doing with our football program. And of course, with any, uh, you know, compliment, you want to do an investigation. So they did an investigation and we kind of were all working together because these are my friends. You know, I've, I've worked with these guys for a decade. Hold on. You mean, you mean complaint or compliment? You mean, you mean compliment. A compliment. Compliment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. An administrator called the principal and said, hey, I just want to tell you what your football program is doing is really awesome. Okay. So okay. that's what started it. Okay. So then we went, uh, we sat down at, during the investigation, uh, make sure that everything was, you know, that we were following all the rules. The school's rules were very simple. You cannot encourage, nor could you discourage kids in prayer. Well, that was never an issue. And they looked for any, any kids that felt uncomfortable, any of the coercion that they always talk about. And when this was going on, the news was there and we challenged everybody and said, you know, just find one kid, you know, if we're doing this, I, I, nobody wants to feel coerced. So yeah, go, go look. And they found absolutely no evidence of that for the whole time that they were doing their investigation that almost went on for probably a year after I, I got suspended. But he gave me a letter at first and it said, you can pray even when you're on duty, as long as it doesn't interfere with your coaching duties. Well, that wasn't an issue. And then some t- time went on, you know, the media got a hold of it, kind of turned in, 
into this big show that nobody wanted. And they said, you know, well, as long as you don't pray with the kids, I think we'll be good. And this is why I'm still working with the school. And so I stopped praying with my football players that day. I never, ever, ever prayed with my football program again. Not a single person from Bremerton. They said, oh, we can still see you praying out there. And that's when you hear them saying, oh, yeah, we'll give you this accommodation, which was just insane. And it was to leave my post and my players from where we are, which was their first concern about my you know, coaching duties. And they tried to give me a place way, way far away from everybody and everything. I'd have to leave my team. So those the accommodations were not not accommodation. Joe, Joe, let me let me interrupt. Why did it matter? And I don't know where this other place was, uh-huh. but why does it? Why was it so important that it be the fifty-yard line midfield of the football field? Why? Why did the location come into play so much in your mind when it felt like the prayer was more essential than the location? Yeah. So my covenant with God was really simple: to give thanks after a game and do it there on the battlefield. Now, where on the battlefield, logistically, it really didn't matter. It was at the 50. That's where I did it for for eight years. I mean, it didn't need to be at midfield. I could have been in the on the sidelines with my knee on the 50. It was just where I was doing it. They made it sound like I was grandstanding out in the middle of the field. Well, their lawyer said, well, why couldn't you just do it on the sidelines, you know, with your knee on the 50? And I said, I could. There was just no communication at that time. And also with them telling me to leave, to go to some other place. I mean, what kind of message is that really sending that I have to go hide who I am and that prayer is supposed to be something that's bad and shouldn't be seen? I mean, there's so many messages in that that it it was not an accommodation I was willing to do. But, But you understand, and it's no secret, that what a lot of people are outraged by as a result of this ruling from the Supreme Court is that potentially the visual that was presented to the Supreme Court didn't accurately paint the picture of the magnitude of what your post-game ritual became. And I wasn't there, so I'm a bit confused. Was it just you, or was it at times a large throng, including students, including opposing players, including your teammates? There's a former player who was quoted in a brief, and I've got it here. It says, to this day, I don't remember who we even played or whether we even won. All I remember in the aftermath of the game is there were over 500 people storming the field from both sides, hopping the fences and rushing to the field to be close to Coach Kennedy before he started his prayer. So what was it? Was it a you in solitude or was it a big, did it end up, and, I, and I'm not talking about intent here. Intent right. is a whole different story. You may have not intended it to become what it did, but did it become something a lot bigger than what you had, had right. started with? Very that? valid. Yeah. And that's where, so when the school district said, stop praying with the students. So that, you know, there's a big timeline within here. And that's where all the details get all kind of crazy. And everybody's wondering. Yeah. Throughout the years, there were, I, I just prayed with um, myself or with some of the team or all the team. And they invited the other team. So throughout the years, eight years that I coached there, it was hit and miss and sometimes it was both it was you know it i mean we did this forever so yes i did pray with students that was never in doubt that was never in question now that's why the school district said we would be okay if you just stop praying with the football players 
And I did. I abided by that. After that point, I never prayed with them again. So the things that they were talking about of, you know, people jumping fences and, and all that, that other before, stuff. That happened before. That is absolutely correct. Okay. And and we have pictures. You could go into the timeline. And it was only take a look. you after the fact, after yes. that, forever, from, from that point to your termination, every single time when you went to midfield, it was you and only you. No players, no opposing players, no fans, no students. Correct. There was a, there was one little uh, mom, not little. It was it was so right after that um, we had the agreement. Hey, I just not not going to do it with with my football team. Nobody from Bremerton. Well, um, yeah, Centennial High School. I know you're familiar with us, Centennial. They were we were playing them. They came up and surrounded me. It was chaotic during that whole entire time. My big concern was not doing it with any of the football players. That was my only concern. And then when they said, hey, we know that you're just praying by yourself, but we could still see you. And you can look at the pictures and, and see that the last two games and actually the game that I was when they said put me on suspension, that's when I was praying alone. And that's what I was actually handed my, my suspension was for that game itself. And now I was just by myself. So you say that the accommodation that they offered was preposterous and it didn't yes. it didn't fit. They've said since this ruling, we certainly hope that this can be put to bed with a reasonable system, a reasonable religious accommodation for Coach Kennedy. That's what the district tried to do all along. He demanded something else. If he's prepared to be reasonable now, that would change things. Do you have a sense of what the uh, the accommodations going to be the same ones that you that you uh, bristled at in the first place? Do you think? Well, it, 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 I, I don't know. I, I hey, I am sitting here waiting. I, I would love to have this conversation and see what those accommodations are. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a pretty accommodating guy. You know, I've been waiting seven years to get back on the field. And this whole thing. I mean, I went eight years without anybody even blinking an eye. We had that huge thing in the middle of it, you know, right at the end. Yes. But, you know, that was that was caused by everything. That wasn't just me. It wasn't just a school. It wasn't just the media. So many factors involved there. Um, I am. I think I'm very accommodating. And, you know, I, I'll have to reassess everything that I've done, you know, because my commitment was prior to me being terminated, which we still got to get clear about that. But, yeah. Let's sit down, you know, come at, let, let, let's sit down in a room and talk about this. The thing that's changed now from 2015 is that the Supreme Court has said it's perfectly fine for the coach to pray by himself on the 50 yard line. The fact that kids can see him engaged in religious expression doesn't matter. The free exercise clause of the First Amendment protects his right to be able to do that very thing. And the school district cannot use the establishment clause to drive him off that field, to shut him up under the free speech clause or to fire him because he's religious. They did all three of those things, and they were the ones that were termed with being uh, engaged with discrimination. That's the voice of, of, of Coach Kennedy's uh, attorney, uh, Jeremy Dice. So, so did we ever get to the back end of how you oh, were terminated? Yeah. Go back, go back right. to where you were, to how you were terminated, where you terminated. Did you reapply for the following season? Tell us about right. that. Yeah. Okay, so so they gave me the letter that said, I am suspended um, from coaching. And yeah, mind you, it is with pay because some reason being suspended with pay is something that's okay, which <laughs> I just want to coach, man. Take away my pay, but let me stay on the field. So they gave me this letter and they said that I, I cannot step back onto the field until I comply with the school district's 
um, demands. And their demand was for me to stop praying. So I was between a rock and a hard place. Well, then at the end of the, at the end of the football season, they changed the rules of what everything went on. I never, I applied once for Bremerton High School. All of our coaches only applied once. Each year we're rolled over based on our evaluations. And that's all it is. It's just our evaluations. We don't have to reapply. We don't have to even tell the school. We sit down with our, our um, athletic director or our head coach and they say, hey, you come back next year. And then he puts on there that desires to come back. And then they say, do we rehire this guy? They check it and then they write whatever they want on there as far as evaluations go. So what they did is at the end of the year, they gave me my evaluation, they mailed it to me and boxes checked, do not rehire. Then they said this other stuff down at the bottom and I, I hope you take a look at it in great big bold letters, it's all in caps, do not rehire. I mean, what do you do with that? There's no chance of me getting my job back. So is that being fired? Well, do not rehire and yeah, but as far as the whole um, reapplying, we never had to reapply. They changed the rules that year and made everybody else reapply. Well, I know the HR lady that was there at the time. She was my wife, which makes it really awkward. And we know the rules and who they hire and who they do not hire. And there's no way on God's green earth that they're going to hire anybody when the athletic director and the head coach says, do not rehire. So what would be the point of, of reapplying for something that you, you're not even qualified to go do anymore? So if you're reinstated, you get the job back, you're coaching your first game, you're thrilled to be back on the sidelines with kids, whether it's at Bremerton High School or somewhere else, what's your plan? After the game, straight straight to midfield on one knee and, and hope that there's no circus around that so you can have your private moment for 15 or 30 seconds? What's your... You've obviously played this out in your mind probably a million times over the last right. six or seven years. What will you do the next time? Well, I imagine. So, you know, after every football game, you go out to midfield and that's when, you know, shaking hands sure. with everybody. Good game. Sure. That's usually when I meet with the other assistant coaches and the bar or junior varsity because we play on Monday. Mm -hmm. That's why 50 yard line was just always there. I would just drop to a knee there. So I don't know what I'll need to do. You know, talking with the school district, I'm sure we could come up with something that would be, you know, acceptable for everybody. Um, it might be me just walking back to the sideline, taking a knee for, I don't care, five seconds. Yes. God, you're awesome. And yes. walk off. I mean, it, yep. it has never been a big thing. And to be very clear, the only relief that coach ever saw from the very beginning of this case was reinstatement. Uh, and since yes. the summary, the, the Supreme Court issued reversed every decision below and entered judgment on behalf of coach, he's entitled to that relief. So there, there's really no workaround for the school district here they have to reinstate him. And if they want to defy the Supreme Court, I mean, we can take them back to the, to the justices and have them explain why. Coach Kennedy, let me end with what may on its surface feel like a very silly question, but I've been asking silly questions for 30 years and people have gotten used to that over the years. <laughs> me too. I'm with you. All right. What is your personal belief as it pertains to the separation of church and state? Do you feel that prayer and religious demonstration should be allowed in public schools? Or are you in agreement that, let's say, anything above and beyond your private moment at midfield or where have you, when it grows, 
it becomes out of bounds. How do you feel in your heart about that? Yeah. And so the way I understand the separation church and state, and I know my attorney is just chomping at the bit to say his piece, but I got to say mine first is that the separation church and state is nothing. There's nothing in the, in the constitution that says that now the whole thing about the establishment clause is where it kind of stems from. And you cannot as a, um, a government entity, form a religion and push it on to somebody. Also on the other side, a church cannot go to and do the same thing. It's made to protect each other's rights from being trampled on. Now, individuals are allowed in my mind to exercise their faith. And if it's not a big disruptive thing, Sure. Why not? Somebody, you know, people show their faith all the time. I'm wearing a cross right now. You know, people wear the yarmulkes. Uh, um, they wear cross earrings or y- you name it. There's, there's there's just signs all over the place. And, and during a meal, you see people doing, you know, the, the sign of the cross. All of those are exactly the same. So I, I am under the belief that every single person in America has a right to all their freedoms, according to so, the. Um, so I, as I understand it, you, you don't think there's anything wrong. And, and this is fine. This is fine. I might be on the other side of the subject or the topic. But when you go to midfield, if 500 people come surround you, opposing team, your team, fans from the stands, what have you, if they all come surround you, you don't really feel like there's anything wrong with that. Oh, no, no. Uh, did you clear that up? No, definitely. I, I'm talking yeah. about a private moment by no, yourself. No, so you do think that there's something wrong with it becoming 100 people or 200 people at midfield. You do. No, you I, do I think there's a, there's a key distinction that has to be made in there. What, coach, what the Supreme Court said on Monday is that the coach can engage in his private act of, of religious expression. And so can everybody else. Yes, uh, I students. That. We know. We know students can do it. We know fans can do it if they have access to the field. Uh, it doesn't matter it, whatever else happens there. Coach has the right to be able to do him I, do I'm that not by asking, himself. But, uh, Jeremy, I'm not asking about right. I understand what he has the right to do and what the Supreme Court said. I'm just merely asking him his opinion. Yeah. How, do, and, you, do you think there's anything wrong? I'm, I'm just asking. Are you, do you think yeah. that there's anything wrong with you at midfield? Your players surrounding you some of the opposing teams surrounding you, some fans out of the stands surrounding you, and you having whatever you want to call that session. Do you think that that's a problem? Yeah, I never wanted that. That's too much for me. Okay. But if some, if I see somebody else doing that and that's what happens, you know, they tear down the, the goalposts and everything else after games. If people want to go do that, that's their thing. I don't want, personally, I don't want to do that. And you can understand then if there is another player on your team who says, geez, when it became not just coach, but it became some of my teammates and some of the fans and some of the opposing team players, I felt a little uncomfortable with that. I I felt, I don't know that I felt pressured to be involved, but I just felt uncomfortable with that scene. You, You can understand that sentiment, yes? I can understand when people feel uncomfortable all the time. That's why it was never an issue at Bremerton. If somebody felt uncomfortable, we talked about it. Now, all of a sudden, they came up with this mysterious player. Who is it? Go find that person and talk to them. Get the true story from them. We got a lot of hearsay, and they've never produced anybody. They just have this mystery player. Well, go talk to them because our football team was tight. And if they had a problem, they'd come to me and say, Coach, I don't want to deal with this. It was never an issue. I was like, cool. Don't join us. Well, 
on some level, that's not. There could be somebody who doesn't feel comfortable coming forward with their objection or their discomfort. They could hide it within, right? We don't know for sure that there wasn't somebody on your football team that just was a little awkward and didn't feel quite right what was happening at midfield, right? You know, any yeah, anything possible. is possible. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I totally understand that. And the the cool thing is, is that if they felt uncomfortable about it, that's okay. People feel uncomfortable about a lot of things in life. If somebody feels uncomfortable seeing somebody pray, you know, that, that that's their problem. They have the right to choose if they want to or not. It's it's pretty simple to me. Which is exactly what Justice Gorsuch said in his opinion, that the school district's job is to teach how this thing happens in real life. That if they can't teach students the importance of religion in public, in public life, then you got to kind of wonder if they can teach anything at all at the school. So, Jeremy, let's finish with this. We wait. You guys are in a holding pattern with the district. Is there a timeline? Do they have X amount of days or months to connect with you guys and offer him his job back? I mean, the summer program has already started it for the football team. So I, exe- I, I expect that they, they want their complete coaching staff up there. The mandate will issue in a couple of days here from the Supreme Court. And so that's when it becomes really operational. Uh, but they really, they're not bound by any time frame. They can hire as many coaches as they want how, whenever they want to hire them. And so uh, they, they can do it right now, today. And coach would be there. On, I mean, I think he'd be on a plane today, like in five minutes to get there by midnight tonight if he had to be there. No problem at all with any of that stuff. So there's there's no reason to delay. There's no thing to get around this. Coach is ready to be back on the field. That's the relief he's entitled to. We might as well just make it happen. Do you think they're delaying? I, I think who knows exactly what's going on. I, I guess their attorneys sound like they are trying to figure out a way to, to prevent Coach from being on the field again because they're they're worried that history will repeat itself and the Supreme Court will have to tell them a second time that it's perfectly okay for the, for someone to engage in religion and public life. They're looking for some sort of loophole, it sounds like, within this opinion, but they're not going to find one. Uh, the Supreme Court has been abundantly clear here that you cannot fire someone. Uh, and I should point out right now, you cannot also refuse to hire someone or refuse to rehire someone because they might somewhere in the future engage in some sort of religious activity in view of students. That rationale has been completely blown out of water by the Supreme Court. The voice of Jeremy Dice, the attorney, and Coach Joseph Kennedy, formerly of Bremerton High School, maybe again to be. We'll have to kind of wait and see where uh, Coach Kennedy ends up. He says he's ready to restart his position either at Bremerton High School or somewhere else because he loves coaching football. Joseph, Jeremy, thank you very much for your time, and we appreciate you being aboard. Mitch hey, Thank I you. appreciate it. I'm hoping for uh, we can get to the bottom of this. And as soon as it does, let, let's let everybody know what the final result is. It's time to check back in with John Waterstrat of Fireside Home Solutions. He's back with us. Fireplaces, garage doors, you name it. How goes it over there, John? It's doing great. Uh, we've had to get through this mucky weather like you know, Mitch, but it uh, <laughs> looks like the sun's popping back out. Things are starting to shine a little bit more. Like everywhere else, you and I have been talking about the wait times for non-stock orders because of the shipping issue that everybody has. Are you seeing any improvement on that end? We definitely have seen some improvement. I can't say it's going to be quick, but uh, it has improved. And uh, our manufacturers have done a wonderful job of just looking at their processes, looking at what we're going through right now, these shortages, and and doing a good job to get lead times down. And what do you think they are? Uh, Sometimes it depends. Like I said, we always have the stock list, and we can talk about that. But uh, we also have some things that are on longer lead times. But instead of waiting 30 weeks, we've kind of shrunk that down maybe to 18 to 20 weeks. Like I said, it's not short, but it's gotten better. 
But there's always that option of purchasing and installing a unit that's in your inventory, which is what we did here at the Levy household. So let's walk through that for a second. The Fireside Home Solutions team comes to your home free of charge. They look at your space, analyze and listen to your needs. Then we visit one of your many showrooms in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Just talk to your sales rep. We'll come out to your house. We'll look at what you want and then just let your sales rep know. Is it speed that you need? If you need that, we'll get the stock list together. We'll find something that works and we can get that installed in about three weeks. If you have some time, let us know and we can get exactly what you want. And we just have to be patient, just like in any any order that we're talking about with these longer lead times. Perfect. A few years ago, you guys wandered into the garage door market too. How's that been going? Because I'm hearing about some exciting things coming down the line. Yeah, it's been great. We've continued to grow that business. And uh, here in the fall, we're going to go ahead and open a showroom in Tacoma. It's going to help the South Sound areas. And it's going to be really nice to be able to have Bellevue, Auburn and Tacoma and just be able to help those customers in Pacific Northwest. That's awesome. Now, before you go, you have to tell our audience where you were for the first time in the middle of April and what you thought. Oh, uh, I got to have that bucket list checked off and I was able to get to Augusta. Pretty awesome. Awesome to watch Scotty Seffler uh, hit some great shots. But the course is just a special place. Well, I'll say it then. We love Fireside Home Solutions, a tradition unlike any other and a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, it's great to have Daniel CEO Lindsey Schwartz back with us on Mitch Unfiltered, despite his complaints that my questions are too long. Lindsey, how's everything at Daniel's? How was June, a month of celebration? Hey, Mitch, great to be back. Yeah, you know what? I, uh, I'm i used to the long questions, so I can handle it. It's all good. June is great. You know that we're all about celebrations at Daniel's and lots of opportunities to celebrate in June. Kind of starts out with proms, goes into graduations and Father's Day. It's just great to see families celebrating, young people celebrating. June is a special month for us. One of the underrated layers and elements to Daniel's broiler is summertime on the outside decks and seating, and you offer options at all of your locations. Yeah, I think what what's great about Daniel's and, and one of the reasons we've been around so long is the locations that we have. There's three great locations with outdoor seating. You got Daniel's Leshy with views of Lake Washington and Mount Rainier. You got Bellevue up top looking over Lake Washington at the Seattle skyline and Lake Union. You see the, the seaplanes, you see the sailboats, lots of great things to see in the summertime here. Yes, and I apologize in advance about my last question, which will be lengthy. But Max Levy, who buses at South Lake Union and loves it there, loves all of his co-workers, at times complains that Bellevue has an unfair advantage by the name of Jim Washburn. Tell everybody in our audience who Jim Washburn is, Lindsay. Yeah, it's true. It does have an unfair advantage, and we're so lucky to have Jim Washburn. He's the piano player at Daniel's Bellevue, and if you can believe this, he's been with us for over 30 years. He's been entertaining people for over three decades. He's there Thursdays through Saturdays from 7 to 11 p.m. People have been coming to see him for years and years. Everybody loves him, young and old. He's one of the few guys who's been around as long as you and I have, and uh, for those who haven't seen him, get up there and see him because it's, it's a real treat. Summertime at Daniel's, outside seating, all kinds of special opportunities. We love Daniel's Broiler, a great partner since back in the radio days. Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. 
With the first pick in the 2022 NBA Draft, the Orlando Magic select Paolo Bancaro from Duke University. What an exciting time for our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered. She was one of the greatest women's basketball players in the history of the University of Washington. Her son, Paolo, was the number one pick in the NBA draft. Rhonda Smith Bancaro joins us on Mitch Unfiltered. Congratulations, Rhonda. Thanks for jumping on with us here. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It is an exciting time for us. And, you know, there's so much happening so fast. Uh, all good things. Uh, so we're just kind of hanging on for the ride and, and uh, are looking for Paulo to do what he needs to do to live up to that number one pick. Now, I fooled you, Rhonda, because you think I want to talk about your incredible son and mom's fantastic parenting, but all I really want to talk to you about is facing Cheryl Swoops in the 1993 NCAA tournament. <laughs> Ah, uh, man. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have agreed to do that. <laughs> That's why we didn't tell you. How many did she get? That's on? Right. She got 40. I just read she got 47 on Ohio State, I think, in the final four, somewhere close to the final. How many did she get on Rhonda Smith um, in the UW? How many did she go for? You know, I think back then, if I remember, because I actually watched that last game where she where she scored 40 plus in the in the championship game. I want to say that she might have had she might have been in the 20s, like the low 20s. Oh. Um and she was I believe it was she was in a heck it too. Oh. Um I think I mean gosh, time goes by so fast and it all runs together. But yeah, she didn't hit us up for 47. I mean, the reason I w remember that is because coach G we would still be running. <laughs> So I'm sure that she didn't hit us up for that much. Oh, well, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to call you Rhonda during this interview instead of Paolo's mom. I have two sons, neither that will ever play pro sports, but I went from Mitch to Max and Brett's dad a long time ago. I don't know when that happens, but I don't. I, 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 yeah. I, do you remember when you went from Rhonda to Paolo's mom? <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was probably uh, six years ago now. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know. I, I feel like it was kind of a, a substitute for kids calling you, you know, Mr. Or Mrs. <laughs> Bancaro, you know, it was just kind of like, Oh, Paulo's mom. Like I, I think I know her name, but I'm probably not supposed to call her by her first name. And you know, Mrs. <laughs> is kind of awkward for these kids these days on the West coast. So I think it was just like, Hey, Paulo's mom. And Unfortunately, we set the precedent because, like, we answer to those names, <laughs> right. right? Yes, like, we do. Yes, we you do. heard, you know, Mitch or Max's dad. I heard Paula's mom, and I'm like, I turn around and I acknowledge it, so then they think that it's okay. So uh, we just went with it. Was Paulo's mom surprised that the son went number one? It seems like I don't follow it too closely, but it seems like the nation thought he was going to go two or three, and were startled when he went number one. Yeah, I mean, you know the. The best thing about that night was the fact that we had been, I had been watching, you know, the draft for 40 years. Right. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you kind of always knew like one through five or seven were, were always correctly predicted. Right. And so going into the draft, I, of course, Paula wanted to go number one. So that, that was never a question. Um, 
But, you know, the pundits are saying it was going to be a different order. And when you don't have the information, you make it up. So I'm assuming that the pundits were making it up because they had him at three the whole time until those last few days. So um, it was just nice to see a little bit of surprise, you know, and intrigue uh, in those top picks. Because I think for the longest time, you know, the last several drafts, it just hasn't been that exciting. And I will tell you, we did not know until about 30 seconds before nice. um, they were going to call his name. So it was it was a surprise to us, even though we knew a little bit before. Now, Rhonda, I grew up in Florida, and I remember my parents' face, the faces on my mom and dad, when I decided to move to Seattle 30 years ago. Orla- Orlando's a long ways away. Can we Can we arrange for Paulo to play for the Seattle Sonics when we get an expansion team? At uh, Climate Pledge? What do you think? I mean, I think if (laughs) it happens, I feel like it would be a natural serendipitous move for for him to be able to come back to Seattle. But uh, I hope so. You know, whether he plays for a team that we may get, I hope we get a team. I mean, I really think that for whoever the powers that be thought that we would be okay without a team. I feel like the city now really misses having um, a, an NBA franchise here. So I hope we get a team back. Were you able to catch many Duke games in person? Will you be able to go see him play NBA games in person? So yeah, we you know we we caught well over half. Oh, good, of good, yeah. Duke games. We were in Durham quite a bit and went. You know, we decided we there were some some arenas that we actually wanted to just go witness a game in, right? And it just so happened that Duke was playing there, so um, we went to some some iconic and out in my mind as a former basketball player, some iconic arenas that I wanted to experience. Um, so we went to some away games, and of course we were at the Final Four and in Vegas and, and New York when they're in Kentucky, playing Kentucky. So that was good. We will get to some games in Orlando, of course the distance doesn't necessarily bother us so much as, you know, there's just time. Right. And we have two other kids. Our daughter is on her way to college this fall to play soccer. So we'll need to split our time and and make sure that, you know, we get out there to see her and that our youngest is entering high school. So we want to make sure he gets the same level of support that we provided for the other two. So we'll get to a lot of NBA games, I think, but we, we got it. We got to spread ourselves thin. We feel that like we, we said we're going to we're going to do the peanut butter approach. I like it as yeah. a parent, yeah. as a parent. I like it. So we should tell our listeners that the recording of this interview got delayed by about I'm looking at my phone an hour, 45, 50 minutes. You you had yeah. you had to tend to some other business. Tell everybody in our audience why Mitch had to sit and wait for Paolo's mom to do the uh, to do the interview on Mitch Unfiltered. Why did we have to wait? Well, Mitch had to wait because Paulo's mom had to uh, bear witness to him signing his first NBA contract. Yes! So it was pretty exciting oh. and uh, just an exciting time for him. He looks really happy. It was over Zoom, so fittingly enough. Yeah, it was just an exciting time. We didn't know until about 15 minutes before it was supposed to happen. So we were all kind of scrambling around and, and we were able to jump on a Zoom and his brother and sister were sitting next to me watching him as That's well. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So when Max and Brett's dad called Paulo's mom to start the interview and you told him that this is going to have to be delayed because I'm going to watch the signing over Zoom, 
Mitch told you that he's going to ask you what question once the inter- once the interview starts, Ron. What did he tell you? You told Mitch told Paula's mom <laughs> that he was going to ask her what she told what she asked Paula to get her. No, no, uh, no, no, he, no, no. Okay, well, no, wait. No, I I'm, said I'm close. <laughs> I said, what is Paulo going to get his mom for all of the great things? I mean. The, the stories are legendary and we'll get into them. How, how you helped him through the years get ready for this. He's got to buy mom a gift. What is mom going to get? He's pretty frugal. We did, <laughs> we did teach him that. So I think we're probably going to be receiving a new dishwasher. Maybe. Really? No, we already got, we just remodeled. We just remodeled. Okay. Actually, I told him that <laughs> before we remodeled our house. So that is not going to hold. I don't know. You know, that'll be interesting. You know this. Kids aren't necessarily used to buying their parents things. Correct. Right? Right. So they don't, I don't, and he's, you know, he's 19. So I don't know that his mind has, you know, shifted to like what we do for our parents now as, as, you know, full grown adults. So I'm not sure. I'll be surprised whatever it is, because it'll mean he really put some thought into it. So I I imagine though, 19, I'm guessing he's going to get me a pair of tennis shoes. That's easy. <laughs> a pair of tennis shoes. You know, uh, if he's thinking about mom, I'm a sneakerhead still. So okay. I think that would be the easy route would be to just get her some shoes because I he can't really mess that up. Rhonda, do you remember when you couldn't take him one-on-one anymore? Yes. <laughs> well, not because I lost, but because it was really hard to beat him. And I thought, this is it. Like, this is my swan song. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a win. (laughs) And I don't even know, should I be embarrassed to say, because he is the number one pick in the NBA draft. So that means he's really good. No, it was, I think eighth grade, seventh grade. It was, he was young and I was not young. And you had to really struggle to beat him. And you kind of finished that game and you said, I'm not playing him anymore. I'm done. I'm not yeah, playing because yeah. I, don't, I don't want to go through yeah. the embarrassment anymore. I I mean, all of us yeah. parents can relate to that. You don't have to have a number one pick in the draft to be able to relate to that moment when your kid beats yeah. you. Yeah, I just wanted to go out on a win. So I, <laughs> you know, I, I said, I told him, I was like, I don't I don't need to play you anymore. Like, I, I, I got you. And, and, you know, there was kind of a joke about banners because he was getting a lot of accolades and starting to get a lot of accolades. And my only kind of hope was that I said, you don't have a banner hanging in your high school with your name on it only. (laughs) O'Day doesn't even do that. So he'll never have that. So I think I'll have that on him forever. (laughs) Dad played football at O'Day and you dubbed as a tight end, right? Mom, Franklin High School. Is that right? Franklin High? Yep. 2,948 points at the U-Dub. I know some of your teammates. I've worked, I think, with some of your teammates. What kind of... What kind of football player was Paolo as a kid? I just spent, while I was waiting for mom while she was on Zoom, watching uh, her son sign a multi-million dollar contract, I watched a little video of him playing quarterback, and I swear he was tossing the ball to a running back, number 18, that may mm-hmm. have may have been a quarter of his size, maybe a third of his size. He was t- the, the difference in, in height was incredible. Uh, who he was tossing the ball to. What kind of football player was he? I mean, he was good. You know, I think, I don't think he was a good quarterback. That, that's a hundred percent. He was smart. Um, obviously athletic, but he was smart. 
mm-hmm. really, you know, had an intuitive feel for the game. I think that had he not, you know, gotten so tall, you know, he, he could have been a D1 football player 100%. I have no doubt about it. He was an eighth-grade All-American. He threw for 200 yards in the first half in that game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where the other quarterbacks who were in that game are at, but I know I've heard they're like a division one high couple of them are at power five schools. So he was on par with them. You know, he's just, just one of those kids that like whatever, whatever he did, he really wanted to excel at. He had a quarterback coach early on as well. So we just try to give our kids the opportunity to be the best at whatever it is they say they want to do, except for swimming. One day he came home or I brought him home after like taxiing ran around all day. And Michael Phelps is on TV and uh-huh. he's talking, you know, they're talking about like how tall he is. And Paul at that time, I think he, I don't think he was that tall, but of course he was going to be getting that tall. I don't know. He was listening to some interviews. He goes, mom, I, I think, I think I want to, I think I want to try swimming. I think I want to be the next Michael Phelps. And I looked at him and I would, you know, like I said, been taxing him around all day. <laughs> and I said, Hey bud, I was like, I don't have any more minutes in my day for you. So we're going to, we're going to have to let this one go. Let's let Michael Phelps have his 105 gold medals and world record. We're going to have to let, we're going to have to let him be great because I can't fit one more thing in for you. So no, (laughs) I hope he's able to tell Michael Phelps that story someday. Uh, That'd be great. I hope he is. That'd be great. Listen, he said a couple of times that my mom, quote, stayed on me, always held me accountable, and made sure I was on the right track. And we hope that that's what all moms do, we hope, with their with their kids. What did that mean? Explain what that meant as it pertains to him. Um. Well, what it really means is that I just was on him. You know, I'm not – I love all my children, and I am very uh, nurturing as a mom, but I'm not that nice about sports. <laughs> Or competition. Yes. So, and, you know, that is from my my own, obviously, athletic background. So I just wanted the kids all to make sure that they were giving their all, giving their best. I never let them quit anything Mm mid-season. I do not believe that everybody should get a participation trophy. Mm -hmm. I think that that is – don't get me on my soapbox about that. But the point is, is I'd be on them. And if he wasn't rebounding, I was on him about that. If he wasn't playing good defense, I'd be on him about that. Not really about offensively, whether or not he was scoring. I mean, of course, you don't want him blowing layups, but, and you want him to use good mechanics and that kind of thing. But it was just more about, you know, making sure you're being a good teammate, that you're not, you know, hanging your head or having really demonstrative reactions to things, because those things can kind of take you out of your game you know, or take you off, off your concentration. So I wasn't, and I'm not warm and fuzzy about stuff like that. I'm like that with all the kids. So I would be on them. We, there'd be those tense, i.e. Uh, one-sided conversations in the car <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> and, you know, I did that because I don't believe that the world, the world's not, you get a, everybody gets a ribbon. It's just not that way. So I didn't want the kids to be, and certainly not Paulo, given how the accolades were coming. And, you know, you, you, you could kind of start to see sometimes people kind of clearing the path for yeah. it to be smoother. And that's, 
just not something we ever believed in as a family. So I would make it probably exponentially harder for him at home just because I knew that you can't control if other people want to clear the path. But we would make our, our feelings known. But you know what I mean? Sometimes yes. they would do it anyway. Yes. Do you get pushback? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. But probably not as much as you would think because he was seeing the fruits of the labor. Begrudgingly, I would say something about something he needed to do. And then either he would do it or another coach, someone outside the house would say it too. And it would be right. I wasn't right all the time about a lot of stuff that happens on a, a playing field or on the soccer pitch. It's just effort and attitude. But you had ammunition. You were an incredibly accomplished player yourself. What if, what if mom was just a typical mom who didn't play and had many things to say like that? It must have been a little bit easier because you had the clout, right? Or no? Um, you know, I mean, I think attitude and effort, right? Those are like things that carry over into anything, the classroom or whatever. So I think even just a regular mom would have the right to say that if, if they, it was coming from a place of, you know, wanting their kid to really succeed. Um, I think that for Paulo, it was probably a little harder because he couldn't say, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so there was no out. Um, like, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know and I'm like? Okay, that's fine. I mean, he would say that, but of course every kid says that, but he knew that wasn't the case. I did know what I was talking about. So that was probably a higher level of frustration for him. Fantastic. I'm learning a lot. Am I allowed to tease you a little bit before you go about, the, about the Duke decision? I really want to know. Of course. Look, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people about Paulo. There's not any mm -hmm. sane human being. There's not one basketball fan that's sane who would blame him in the least for going to play for Coach K in Durham. Nobody. But I, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm Seattle's been pretty tough, it's been pretty rough. That doesn't mean that they're sane. That doesn't mean that they're sane. Yeah. Was there ever a time that the UW was a real possibility? Or did you guys kind of know in your heart of hearts, despite all of your love, both you and your husband's love for Montlake, that he was kind of destined to go fly out of the nest and play somewhere else? That's a great question. And I think it's a two part answer. Okay. So the first part is. Yeah, I think there was a time that UW was a real distinct possibility. I think that for local kids, UW is, you know, it, it, it is the jewel uh, in, in terms of being able to go play for your hometown. I mean, it's a great campus. All the things, all the things that you just said, why my husband and I love the school and love, you know, our time there. I think that as things started to shape out, he started to really think like, wow, you know, here are these schools recruiting me and I'm talking to, you know, Coach K and, and Mark Few and, and John Calipari and Rick Barnes and, and, you're, and, and you're having, you know, these deep, meaningful conversations with really the mecca of college basketball right now. I won't say Jay Wright. He didn't recruit our kid, but Jay Wright would be up there too. Um, okay. I forgot Bill Self didn't recruit our kid either. Or oh. not, neither did Tom Izzo. But okay, well, I mean, that's just me being competitive. <laughs> yeah. That's just me being competitive. Okay. However, yes. you know, you're having these conversations with the mecca of college basketball in terms of head coaches, programs, legacy. 
you know, there really started to be a conversation around, gosh, what if a Seattle kid went away to one of these storied programs, right? You turn, when we, when I was a kid, I'd turn on the TV on Saturday morning and it would be those same programs that would be, or same programs where their basketball teams would be playing on CBS mm-hmm. on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to look at like, could this kid come from this small market that I think maybe not now, but that I think has always been underrated mm-hmm. and go to a program and leave your mark and say, you know what, you can come and recruit a kid out of Seattle and they're going to be successful all the way away from home, whether it was Tennessee, Kentucky, Duke or North Carolina. And that I think started to really intrigue him about going to a huge program with a huge platform. Yep. You have Marvin Williams, right? North Carolina. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Jamal Crawford at Michigan. But if you think about the length of time between those two players, I mean, just between their two, their two eras from, I think Marvin would have been the last one. He was the younger, I think, of the two. When's the last time after Marvin, you had a kid that went to a story program and led it? I felt like there were more, but maybe I'm wrong about that. And so, you know, when you start talking about going to those programs and really being, and I want to throw Jason Terry in there too, Yeah. you know, going to those programs and really being an integral part it hasn't happened in at least a decade here. And so it started to, and and we've had some great talent come out of here, right? So could you go to a Duke? Could you go to a North Carolina? Could you get to a final four? Like those are the questions. Paulo has been wanting to play on the biggest platforms since we were in the seventh grade. He was in the seventh grade. I took him to watch North Carolina play Syracuse at their seat during their senior night. So I took Paulo and the kids and I took another one of Paulo's friends and we went to the game. It was the first time any of us had been in an arena that big. It was at UNC mm-hmm. and it was 21. I think their, their capacity is like 21,000 or something like that. And so it's this huge arena there. Everybody's wearing baby blue or white. It was just an amazing experience. I understand. First time for all of us there. So afterwards, when we're sitting in the nosebleeds, I mean, we're, we're up, we're way, way, way up there. So after that, we, we wait till everybody left. I mean, that's how much of an experience it was. Like we wanted to, everybody was trying to soak it in, you know? So everybody left. So I have Paulo and the kids and, and Paulo's looking up on the court. Nobody's out there anymore. And I'm watching him. And I'm watching his face and I can just see like the one, I couldn't tell if it was like bewilderment or if it was excitement. And so I asked him, I said, do you think you would want to play in an environment like this? Like in front of all these people, I was like, is it intimidating or does it like invigorate you? You want to do it? And he looked at me and he, he like shook his head. No, but he was like, no, I'm not intimidated. I want to play in front of all these people. And that was in the seventh grade. And I was like, okay, like, okay, you said it. Let's see, you know, how we can try to make sure that you're getting the training and, and all the good stuff to, to try to get you to, to where you want. Wow. And he's always said he wanted to play on the biggest platforms. He said it when he was at Duke, he said it in his interviews, um, you know, with, with the magic now, um, that he's not afraid of the lights. That's greater than I could have hoped because I, w- I would get so nervous. Like I was not calm like that. 
you're selling yourself short. Was the Washington backlash, you joked about it earlier, was it rough for you and your husband and your family or not? Not really. Um, I mean, I think it was rough because they were directing their comments towards my child, to my, my kid. So you don't want to, I don't want people to be mean or throw their vitriol at any of my kids or kids in general, right? Like fans need to, I don't care how much kids are being paid NIL, like it doesn't matter. They're still 17, 18, 19, 20 year old young people. That part I did not enjoy at all. They, they were relatively easy on Mario and I, but we're also not as popular on social media as someone like Paulo is. So that part, I didn't really like that much. And I think that probably the most hurtful thing was that is that people think that when kids go to other places to go to school around athletics, that it's like, Oh, you know, screw him or screw her. She didn't come here to, you know, she wasn't loyal. And Paulo's got tattoos that are all about Seattle. They are Seattle, literally. It's the Space Needle, Mount Rainier, you know, it is Seattle. So he wanted to put Seattle on his back and take it elsewhere so that other people and other coaches would be open to recruiting kids from the West Coast. One of the main questions Paulo got, and even we got at the beginning of his kind of junior year, the big recruitment time, was would you be willing to come this far away from home? And the answer of course was yes. But what we found is a lot of coaches just assume that kids from the West coast want to stay on the West coast. Kids from the Mm -hmm. Midwest want to stay in the Midwest. And I understand it. It's budget maybe, or data has shown that kids get more homesick the further away from home, but I don't know. And that bugs Paulo too a little bit. Well, Bill self thought that. And so did Tom Izzo. And Jay Wright. And Jay Wright. <laughs> Not that you remember, of course. Uh, Not that I was counting no. or anything, no. Hey, did my guy Jimmy Bayheim call? I hope he called from Syracuse, my alma mater. Did he call? I don't think so. Oh. God. If I remember, I'm trying to think. I mean, I'd have to oh. go down and look. He kept all his letters and stuff. Oh. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I would say probably not. Oh. Probably not. Break my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, there she is. Rhonda, not Paolo's mom. Rhonda on Mitch Unfiltered. (laughs) You're a delightful guest. It was really fun to get to know you a little bit. I've kind of uh, cheered for you guys from afar. And uh, what an exciting time in in not only Paolo's life, but his family's too. Congratulations on uh, just a wonderful time. Enjoy the heck out I of it. I appreciate you. Let's let's do it again. I want your I want mom's analysis like halfway through his rookie year. Come back on and give us a a basketball ease analysis of the rookie in Orlando. Okay. Promise. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate you. Thanks so much, Mitch. Boy, it's been a tough few months for our four hundred one k plans, hasn't it? Here's Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. Katie, give us some good news, will you? There's not a lot of great news in the market to report, except if you're a buyer. It's a good time to be buying and to have cash. It's also a good time to go three for three. I feel it. This is going to be my day. What's the theme of your quiz today, Katie? It's a market update to see how much you're paying attention. I'm paying attention. So go ahead. Question number one. 
U.S. inflation in May reached the highest level in more than four decades. What was the inflation increase? Was it 7.6%, 8.3%, or 8.6%? 8.6% C, Katie. Oh, you are right. It was 8.6% up from 8.3% last month. So really driven by a lot of the supply chain issues, energy prices. That's why the market has been really volatile around these numbers. And Mitch Levy is one for one for the first time in his history. I'm ready for question number two. All right. Number two, in June of 2021, oil was $68 a barrel. What is the cost today? Is it $100 a barrel? 120 or 140 $120 a barrel. B. That's right. Yes. That is right. That's what's really causing this inflation spike is that the cost of energy has just gone up so much over the last year. And Mitch Levy has a chance to go three for three as he predicted. I'm ready for question number three. This one could be an easy one. It's a true or false question. True or false. Both stocks and bonds are down for 2022. Absolutely true, Katie. That is true. You went three for three. Yeah, so stocks are down 18% and bonds are down 11%. It's been a really ugly year where there's not a lot of places to hide. Essentially, the only area of the market that is up on the year is energy. That's why here at Evergreen, we think that active management makes a lot of sense. It used to be really easy to make money in the market for the last five or 10 years or so, where you just buy the index and it keeps going up. But now we think, you know, there's pockets of value. We think there's certain areas that make sense. So we think active management makes a lot of sense in this environment. And that's why it's a good time to check out everything that Evergreen is doing. Start with their website, evergreengk.com. We love Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning at Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. Okay, other stuff segment. I don't think that we can go back and forth. You got to do two. If you've got a, I don't know how many you've got. I've got a ton. Same. All right. So do two or three quick ones. Let's yep. keep the keep the pace up, and then I'll do two or three quick ones, and we'll go that way. A man in Chile was accidentally paid 286 times his normal salary on a paycheck. 286 Saw times. Story. Yeah. So he promised that he would, he would return and overpay <laughs> the money. Well, what do you think happened to the guy? Not only did he quit, he vanished. I haven't heard from him of you. <laughs> no. So that that equates about $180,000. And yeah. turns out he was making just above the minimum wage in Chile. So 180 G's is <laughs> a lot of money to anybody. So he, I like that he resigned through a lawyer. Nope, I am resigning and I will be on an island somewhere. See you but later. But didn't he originally tell them in human resources that I... Yeah, I said that he promised the boss yeah, to return yeah, what was overpaid yeah, to him. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, but just know that the company is actually going after him to get oh, that money. Yeah. yeah. So it, this is this is not, well, we made a mistake. I'm rooting a nice for him. Lie. I kind of am too. It's not his money, but no, I'm, rooting I'm still for rooting him. for him. I know. Is his name Patrick by chance? <laughs> Patrick wouldn't do that. Come on. All right. Th- this made me laugh. I've wanted to do this so many times. Brian yes. Driver's business meetings in Denver wrapped up. This guy brought. Two days or two weeks early on the Father's Day weekend. So he called the airlines to rebook, only to be faced with an eight-hour callback time. Eight hours to rebook his flight. He wanted just to get home. So, of course, he fell asleep and missed the call. Oh. Next day, he calls again. Oh. Four-hour wait. Oh. So what did he do? He finally just said, F it. And he drove to the airport to go to the counter to rebook his flight like it's 1982. But I've, I've done that with restaurants. I've tried to call for takeout. and It's busy, 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 busy. I just drive up there. Here's my order. But I love that he did that. Just forget it. I'll drive to the airport like I used to. And I'll just book my flight. 
All right, this this made me think of you. A Yorkie, you can picture a little Yorkie dog, yep. made a miraculous escape from the clutches of a bald eagle in British Columbia. Oh, no. And part of it was captured on video. Coco, an eight-month-old, was scooped up by a bald eagle outside her home. The doorbell cam recorded the moment when Coco was grabbed. Um, Coco screamed, of course, and then a- the, the action went away from the camera. But then you see Coco eventually... Hopping back to the door. So Coco is still with us somehow. So what happened? The, the eagle dropped the, the Yeah, dog? maybe the dog bit the oh. eagle or I don't know. See, I love eagles, but stories I, like that ruin the reputation. <laughs> I, they got, I know, but they got to eat too. I mean, not dogs, not hopefully. Dogs, but yeah, man. I know. One day they're going to come after like, us. Like I was okay when you told me that the eagle dropped the fish next to your car. Right, right, right. I mean, th- this is another animal story. The owners of a, of a kangaroo that was spotted water, wandering around Louisiana. stories are boring sports stories. You have all these... Human interest stories, and I've got all the sports stories, but go ahead. Go ahead. So this animal was released by a parrot. This kangaroo got out, and the video shows that a parrot unlocked the cage for him. I'm thinking, this is how it starts. This is how it starts. The animals are going to turn on us. The birds are going to fly in, start unlocking doors at zoos, and we're all... We're all what match are we for a Siberian tiger that gets out? He'll no. take down 400 people in, you know, two minutes. So, yeah, this is how it starts. The animals are going to take oh, over one day. Thanks for giving me nightmares. There you go. I appreciate it. I'll start with KD wants out of Brooklyn. Yes. The lovable Kevin Durant wants to be traded. You have said that something happened with him. Yeah, I've talked about it a lot. Yeah. Uh, he wants to be traded. Brooklyn is t- taking offers. And I would just say that if Rudy Gobert got five first-round draft choices for Utah wow. when they traded him to Minneapolis, how many draft choices uh, – is there anybody that even has enough draft choices for a trade with with Brooklyn for Kevin right. Durant? No. I mean, yeah, but he's kind of older now, though, right? I mean, is he still yeah. as effective? So is Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert's come a long way from spreading COVID two years ago on the microphones. <laughs> He's come a long way. Rudy Gobert's a center who's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. He doesn't have much of an offensive game to show for. Yeah. And yet Minnesota gave him five first-round draft, or four, and a guy that was a first something like that. NBA's out of control. It's crazy. John Wall. Oh, yeah. Coming to the Clipsies. He's still playing. Well, he didn't play much last year because the two sides decided they just pay him to not, to, not to play. But he can still play. Yeah, he's not, he's not that old. He's a little... He's a little Kind of run down. Was he? Did he go to Texas or no? No, he went to Kentucky. He oh, played oh, one year at Kentucky. The reason I John Wall, I think it was he and Abdul Gaddy were the number one and two. They were. Guards That's exactly right. Yes, in the what country. A, yes, it was close. And too. which what? one did the Huskies <laughs> get? God damn it! I remember. Oh, so every I time I hear John Wall, I just yes. think of that. John Wall and Abdul. Okay, Gaddy. fine. We get the number two point guard. He ain't gonna stink. But Wall didn't go to Bellarmine Prep. No, he did not. <laughs> the institution that is. <laughs> God. But I'm just telling you, watch out for my clipsies. John Wall's going to add them a different dimension if he stays healthy. Nice. They only have to pay him $13 million because I think Houston's paying him everything else. Only. And then there's the Russell Westbrook story. Talk about another NBA player that I don't like very much. Yeah. Just his attitude and his personality. But can he, can, didn't he forget how to shoot? I mean, yeah. hasn't he been I don't think he ever awful? learned how to shoot. I remember my, he my was daughter's terrible. basketball coaches were literally goofing on him at a practice saying how awful he looks now. Yeah, he's... Well, he just, yeah, he hasn't been able to shoot for years, but he is Mr. Triple Double. Okay. He decided that he's going to hang with the Lakers for another year. He had a player option for $47 million. For a guy who's being (laughs) mocked by other basketball coaches for not being able to shoot. NBA is insane. I want to mention the guy, the the poor Seattle Seahawks fan who thought it was funny, (laughs) thought it was funny to rip tennis and rip Wimbledon. I saw Seahawks were trending. I was like, Baker Mayfield, let's go. Nope. Ugh. What happened here? Wimbledon sent out a highlight 
of their tennis, one of their big matches. Yeah. And a Seahawks fan, I'm assuming a local Seahawks fan, decided to retweet and say, if only it was a sport, you know, something like it's not even yeah, a real yeah. sport, tennis. Which is by insane, the way, by the well, way. I don't know why people would think that. Yeah. I mean, a golf, yeah, I get it. Right, but golf, tennis? bowling, I mean, yeah. come on, tennis? tennis? Really? you got to be in great shape. Anyway, a Seahawks fan said the tennis is it, and then the U.S. Open jumped in. Insane. <laughs> the U.S. Open's Twitter account jumped in. <laughs> Who are these faceless people? I want to see who's behind these accounts. Not a sport, says the person about to watch 17 games of Drew Locke at quarterback, says the U.S. Open. Oh, that's hilarious. It it is. And it hurts. And there's no comeback. No. And then, of course, everyone on Twitter started piling on this guy. I mean, he was his phone must have had 5,000 notifications on it. Oh, God. And then your buddy DK Metcalf jumped in. I don't know that. To try to help the guy a bit. He wrote, really? He tweeted at the U.S. Open, all right, chill, we get the point. <laughs> Trying to play peacemaker here. Like, he probably, did, in case Drew Locke is a starter, DK's got to, you know, he's got to play with the guy. He doesn't want people shitting on him for the next four days. So DK tried to come to the guy's defense, but how funny. But how, about, how funny is it that it's like the U.S. Open? It's not like a dude. It's like the U.S. Open's Twitter account. Right. Like, it's like. Well, that's why I said, who's behind these? I, I really <laughs> want to see the, the people. Very funny. Be- they did it come up with this hilarious uh, stuff. Poor Drew Locke getting thrown, just I, gotten caught in the What did I do? Why am I catching <laughs> shit? I haven't even thrown a pass yet. <laughs> God, poor guy. Noah Fant, do you know who he is? Yes. Who is he? Noah Fant? Yeah. Oh, is he a George Fant? Is no. he an offensive Is it a Noah Fant? Did I get the wrong? Yeah, Noah Fant. You I don't, don't know. Noah... I guess I don't know. You don't know who Noah Fant is? I might. Doesn't sound familiar. Noah Fant is... The Pro Bowl tight end that the Seahawks got from the Broncos in a trade for a oh, certain quarterback, yeah, Noah yeah, yeah. Fant. That's right. I don't think they call him Font. I think it's Fant. Okay. He said to the USA Today, hogwash to the whole rebuild thing. I don't view it as a rebuild at all, oh. says Noah Fant. We have a really strong receiver room. We've got a good tight end room. We've got one of the best running back rooms in the league. Obviously, the revamped offensive line. I see a young team that's hungry that has a lot of really talented players. This is not a rebuild, says Noah Fant. Did he miss a position? <laughs> As he was going down the list? Maybe the position that's responsible for getting the other positions the ball? I think you might have forgot one. Go on. I'm listening, Mr. That's Fant. Go on. Tell me about that other position you missed. He missed his former team or his – his former and still current teammate right, that yeah. the U.S. Open was taking shots at. <laughs> right. That, Forgot about him. That one he left out. The, 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 the punter's good. The PAT team's great. Yeah, we, we didn't get that one, did we? No. Oh, that's so, funny. There you go. Your turn. You get a couple Adrian more. Peterson, with the super confusing nickname AD, currently in the process of becoming Le'Veon Bell's opponent at the Crypto.com Arena next month. The 30-year-old Bell is slated to take his first boxing match as part of YouTube superstar Austin McBroom's Social Gloves event in Los Angeles. So you might have, it looks like you will have Adrian Peterson against Le'Veon Bell boxing. Why do you boxing. say AD? That, because his, he was his called. His nickname is AP. It's, he has two. The, the AD oh. thing is super confusing. He was called All Day. That was his nickname for really? college. Oklahoma? Because you hear people calling him AD. And I'm like, why is it AD? So I had to look it up. He's called AD and AP. I know, it's confusing. Now he was here for a minute, right? Uh, sure, he was, yeah. And, and not and not a nice guy, right? Hit his son or something with a stick. From from what I I hope Le'Veon Bell knocks him out, and then the son gets to come in with a switch. Really, we don't like him. Even whack though he was him a on Seahawks. the back of the legs yeah. as hard as he can. If wasn't he also early in his career convicted of like driving a car 150 miles an hour on the on the highway or something like I think that? He's had his issues. 
Yeah, he doesn't seem like a good... But now you can watch him hopefully get his ass kicked by Bell. So there you go. A Boston woman who's been working on planes. This is somebody you might want to get on. This woman has been working on planes for 65 years, was named the world's longest serving flight attendant by Guinness World Records. Betty Nash is 86 years old and still working. She started working as a flight attendant in 1957 for Eastern Airlines and continues to this day at American Airlines without any lapse Mm. in employment. Mm. Imagine what she's seen. In 65 years on planes, you might be. Uh, You've got a couple of plane stories today, huh? I do. Yeah, you had a plane story earlier, or did you not? I don't think. So. I think one of your earlier stories was a plane story. I've got a plane story. Delta Airlines. Have you read oh, the article? The guy who booked the, the flight. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. 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 Delta Airlines reportedly offered passengers on a flight from Michigan to Minnesota ten thousand dollars to get off. Wow. 10 G's? Why is it that when I'm on a flight, they offer like a, a box lunch? <laughs> and a Cinnabon. Here you go, kid. <laughs> Here's a gift card to Cinnabon yeah. if you get off the... $10,000 were offered to passengers. And, and this is a true story because multiple passengers are confirming it. They were on the flight. They heard the announcement. $10,000. Every year I have to hear these CEOs bitch about how they're not making money, these airlines. Um, does the CEO know, CEO know what's happening here where they're offering 10 G's to people to get off? Why don't they just give the $10,000 to the guy who's getting on that needs the seat? <laughs> that sounds like a good plan, too. I know. Well, I mean, what what is it what is it possibly that's worth their while to $10,000 per person to get off the overbooked flight? And why? Michigan to Minnesota. Who's going to Minnesota? Yeah. What, what, what's so important? I'll... Uh, so I'm in, by the way, I'm in. Attend- <laughs> they found my number. Well, like the great, like I laugh at the other offers, but I'll take, I'll take 10 grand. Like the great wrestler, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase used to say, everybody's got a price. And I think we just found ours. I would too. Couple of disturbing stories I have that I felt like I wanted to mention on the show. Okay. Miles Bridges. Ever heard of him? Unfortunately I have now. Yes. He was a, I believe, incredible all American college player at Michigan state for for Izzo, Tom Izzo. Yep. And he's become a really good basketball player in the NBA. I want to say for the Charlotte team, he was facing a $100 million. He was a free agent and getting ready to sign a $100 million contract. Well, he's been arrested for domestic assault. His wife has shown the pictures. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's bad. It's really, really bad. It's ugly. Another professional, high-priced professional athlete comes into trouble with domestic assault and de- domestic abuse. And may have just cost himself... Who knows hundred million money. dollars. Oh, yeah, very costly. How about this story? A woman who feared for her life, she was being held hostage in New York City in an apartment. After she, I guess it was some sort of an online date or something. She oh. matched up with a guy who then held her hostage. Do you know how she got out? Mm-mm. How she got rescued? She's 24 years old. She did it by way of... What's the nut stub? What, food hub? Uh, oh, door Grub da- hub. Grub Dash. hub. Okay. Grub hub. Um, she ordered a, a lunch from somebody ordered lunch from a from a cafe brilliant. in Manhattan. It's brilliant. And she placed on the bottom of the Grubhub order for a breakfast sandwich at 5 a.m. and a burger uh, to call police or send police or some sort of a code word to say I'm in trouble here. Wow. And the Grubhub people saw it. The the cafe people saw it. They sent the authorities. And she was rescued. There you go. Grubhub to the rescue. Well, but she these, used Grubhub to get herself rescued. These employees at the cafe, I mean, they could have just blown that off or not Completely. even looked at the comments. Or, Completely. I, I, I don't mean to crap on the story, but if she had access to her phone, why not just dial 911? 
I don't know that she had access or how it worked. Okay. I don't have that part of the story, but yeah. this is clearly she didn't have access to nine one one. But that, right. that's a great story. I, I mean, not great, but I'm happy it had a happy ending. I just have a couple of others remaining. Okay. Uh, Jalen Ferguson's cause of death. Do you want to do that? We talked about him, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I have that linebacker who died at 26. We talked about him on a previous show. Cause of death revealed less than two weeks later. Uh, a combination. Of fentanyl and cocaine. Another fentanyl oh, no. victim. It's just the, the list continues to grow with this fentanyl. It's like, when are people going to learn their lessons? And look, I'm not one to preach, right? I've done my party in yes. my life. But yes. God damn, if there's a chance, it feels like it's a good chance you can OD with this stuff. Maybe pivot to something else. I mean, I don't know. I, how many do we have to read? So fentanyl is something that people seek out. They want fentanyl. I thought fentanyl was like a la- something that people lace yeah. to hurt other people's other drugs. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I always though. hear about the lace part, but I don't know why a drug dealer would want to just give away stuff to uh, to kill a customer. I don't know. I don't really get how it works. It doesn't, it's never really made sense to me, but I, I think fentanyl is a painkiller. They say it's like oh, okay. 150 times stronger than okay. opium or whatever. Okay, so, so I, fe- fentanyl is something oh. people... People seek out. I, I I assume, or yeah, maybe it was laced. I don't know. It's just this fentanyl. It's just, it's crazy. And then kind of a heartwarming and heartbreaking story all at the same time. There was a TikTok video. I'm not a member of TikTok, but I did see a little about this video in Australia of a woman named Penelope Ann filming herself giving her terminally ill father a sip of his favorite drink through a syringe before oh, he passed away. That's heartbreaking. It's very sweet. It is heartbreaking. Yeah. Bundaberg rum, I don't know what that is. Her TikTok video shows her cracking a can of Bundy and using this syringe to collect a small amount of booze. She says in the TikTok video, I came prepared for the send-off, she says. Give him a little taste here. And he gave, she gave, and he smiles or he uh, seems, smirks. And it's uh, both heartbreaking yeah. and heartwarming all at the same time. Yeah. But yeah. there you go. Well, good for her for there giving her dad one last little little sip before she says goodbye. The floor is yours before your jokes. Howard Go Stern got the nerds a buzzing when he didn't realize his mic was still on. Uh-oh. Are we still doing that at 50 years of broadcasting? He's still, anyway, he didn't realize his mic was on, and he told Robin Quivers, his co-host, that he's working this summer. He was kind of bitching about it. He goes, well, I'm going to do Dr. Doom. And the nerds, the Marvel nerds, are like, whoa, whoa. I there's know what that is. Well, of course, you're not a Marvel nerd. Oh. The Marvel nerds are like, there's a Dr. Doom project? He let the cat out of the bag. Marvel hasn't announced the Doctor Doom project. It's unclear if it's going to be a standalone film. Explain. Or a, explain. What is Doctor Doom? It's. I guess it's just a, a comic book character, and no one knew that they were going to make a Doctor Doom movie. You know how they make Captain America, yeah. and Iron Man, and yeah. no one knew, and he let the cat out of the bag that he's going to be in it. So Marvel's probably not too happy about it because, yeah, it hasn't is been Is he going to be yet. a voice? Is, are these animated shows or are these... No, it's like the Robert Downey Avengers yeah. shit. Okay, yeah, so he's like, he's like going to be a super... Howard Stern's going to be a superhero. From what I can gather, he's not. A villain. At 60. Oh, okay. And rail thin and 6'5". <laughs> okay. Probably not. Okay. From what I read, he's okay. going to be a Howard Stern type oh. character in okay. a universe of I some kind. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Richard Gere, he's finally got a buyer for his impressive New York estate. His 50 acres sold for $24.15 million. Oh, you'd be happy to know he paid $1.5 for it. So. How much? $1.5 for it at one point he paid, and he's selling it for $24 million. Wow. Yeah, about an hour north of New York City in Westchester wow. County. Fifty get... acres. Wow. Yeah. For the twenty-four million, does the dribble come with it or not? It was uh, a matter of time. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was a race. It was a race to the punchline. I was going to say there's eleven thousand six hundred feet in the main house. Plenty oh, of room for gerbils. Did I blow it for you? No, not at all. But the poor guy, he really can't get past that. <laughs> it's a gerbil. Oh God! Did you oh. see Lionel Messi? Hop Is there off? anybody in our audience going? What are they talking about? 
Yeah, there's some normal people out there probably who don't know that story. Who you know? Like, Are they going to look it up, or do they not want to know the story? You don't have to look it up. It's, <laughs> it's not even true, I don't think. So you don't think? Lionel Messi had to deal with a swarm of fans. He was yeah. trying to get a little R&R on a vacation. He jumps off of a boat on a beach and yeah. just gets absolutely pummeled by everyone. And I was thinking, would you recognize the highest paid athlete in the world? I don't think I would. No. I think he's 5'7", 160. You know, no. If you saw LeBron, you go, okay, well, that, you know. 5'7", 180, whatever he is. No. These people are going absolutely batshit for this guy on this beach. I was just thinking, I don't think I would even know him if he fell on top of me. Yeah. I wouldn't. All right. Uh, Corey, but I know Pele. You would? Yes. These days, though? Oh. It might be a little. Yeah, I think so. I think I would. Okay. All right. I know Pele. All right. I got a quick RIP. You, you won't know the name, but his name was Sonny Barger or Barger. He founded something called the Hell's Angels. Oh, yeah, he passed away. He passed that. away, yeah. 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 Um, he left everyone saying, keep your head up high, stay loyal, remain free, and always value honor. Mm. He was 83 years old. You won't know this one either, but he's got a kind of a cool legacy. Hip-hop trailblazer and legendary dancer Bruno Taco Falcon passed away at 58. Don't know. Staple in the dance scene, but he created a style that called locking, a pop and locking. He taught Michael Jackson how to do it. He was in the Smooth Criminal video. He starred in a movie with Ice-T called Breakin', so rest in peace to him. Okay. Headlines, yes. are you ready? Yes. A woman in Georgia was charged with faking she a was. pregnancy. Faking oh. a pregnancy in order to get time off. Huh. Not the worst idea, Hotshot thinks, as he looks down at his gut. The chairman of a construction-themed amusement park in Britain drove a backhoe 100 feet across a pair of tightropes at the park. The saddest part of the story are the kids who were taken to a construction-themed amusement park. <laughs> what the hell is that? All right. A Kentucky woman got the shock of her life when she... Went outside, opened her front door, and saw a three-foot snake. That freaking Ron Jeremy is relentless, isn't oh, he? Oh, stop it. The mayor of a small fishing village in Mexico marries an alligator. The alligator was wearing a white wedding dress. Okay, buddy. We're all sorry your wife left you, but can you pull it together, please? Christ. And finally, doctors had to operate after a man went to the ER with whistling genitals due to a rare condition called... Whistling genitals. Called pneumoscrotum. The whistling sound was especially confusing for his wife, who wasn't sure if it was time to make love or to make tea. (laughs) Whistling genitals is a thing, I guess. Very, very rare. Please uh, remember to tell me what you thought of Joseph Kennedy. Yes. On episode 198, all right? And for that, episode 197. Wait. What? We're not going to say go Issaquah? The Issaquah girls going to yeah, state. Yeah, you I mean, could have brought that Lord. up whenever you wanted to. Yeah, they won the 17-3, nothing, and 16-1. Yeah. They're going to kill it at state. Let's go, Issaquah. Actually, someone did ask me to give an update on the show. When, when is the state tournament? July 9th is at 10 a.m. is their first game. And where is the state tournament? Some place called Des Moines. Oh. May as well be Iowa, for all I know. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to so, come. I'm going to come see them, them play. If if maybe that's maybe the state championship game. Yeah, that's a Friday. If they're in the championship, that'll be on a Friday. On a what? So, so the ch- the tournament starts Saturday. If they win Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they fly all the way to the championship and they let the losers fight it out to see who's going to face them. They're going to get District One as their first opponent. And like Charles Barkley said before their first game in, in the Olympics, he goes, "I don't know nothing about Angola. I just know Angola's in trouble." <laughs> I don't know nothing about District 1. I just know District 1's in trouble. There you go. Episode 197, Go Issaquah, in the books. 